This is the Movie Hall of Fame for Thursday, August 29th, 2019. We back and we back and we back. <laughs> I was going to say we're back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the, that movie with the dinosaurs. You remember that movie where John Goodman voiced a T-Rex? Oh, shit. You remember that? I think it was just called Dinosaur, wasn't it? No, no. It's called We're Back. We, and it takes place in New York. I have no idea what you're talking about. What? 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 Come on, man. What? You never seen We're Back where what? the guy gets like eaten by crows at the end or whatever? I haven't seen it since I was a kid. It's a dinosaur movie? It's a dinosaur movie. We're it's Back, a, a dinosaur story. It's an animated... Yeah. Damn, dude. Yeah, come on. John Goodman? Yeah. Ray Perlman? Jay Leno? <laughs> Walter Cronkite? Larry <laughs> King? Playing himself? Never seen this shit. Oh, uh, come Martin on. Martin Short? Yeah. Damn, son. Yeah, come on. Didn't we play a game on why is this a thing where we had to list dinosaur movies? I think I might have listed this one, too. Did this come up? I think it did. Surprisingly high number of dinosaur movies. <laughs> it's amazing how many dinosaur movies there are. How many dinosaur movies that I have seen, specifically. Oh, yeah. That's no surprise, though. What's your fi- well, like, beyond Jurassic Park, what's your favorite dinosaur movie? The Lost World. Besides <laughs> Jurassic Park 2, A Lost World. Uh, favorite movie with land of the lost remember that shit well that movie is a piece of shit will ferrell it's a dog turd i've Um, got i gotta go land before time yeah land before time is pretty amazing thing makes me weep (sighs) yeah we all love that uncontrollably everybody loves that shit weird stuff behind the scenes like one of the voice actors from land before time died in 9-11 i think i think it was like the little girl that played piggy or whatever the hell the dinosaur's name was ducky Ducky. Ducky. Huh, yeah. I think Ducky died. Ah, uh, ah. Uh, wait, in 9-11? I think. Or maybe she was murdered? I have no idea. That's really weird. There's a w- weird tragedy behind the scenes with Land Before Time that uh, makes it even more emotionally resonant. Shit. Yeah. Well, now I gotta look this up. <laughs> I gotta watch We're Back, a dinosaur story. <laughs> Any movie with an exclamation point after the title I'm into. We're Back. <laughs> Mother. <laughs> the- Airplane! <laughs> Airplane by far the best, which is great. Yeah, the stylized exclamation point. I'm happy with that. Big fan. Best dinosaur movie besides Jurassic Park, though. I don't know. I guess I could say dinosaur, even though I don't love dinosaur. I remember seeing that as a kid and thinking it was kind of boring. It's okay. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I like the scene where they find water. That's a cool scene. I have no idea what you're talking about. Your memory is just awful. Dude, I saw that movie in like 2001. Dude, I remember being born, okay? <laughs> <laughs> you have a AI memory. You have like a mem- an Elon Musk memory chip in your brain. That's how you know. That's the only explanation for how you remembered the plot of Disney's dinosaur. <laughs> I remember the stupidest shit. I don't know why. Dinosaur came out in 2000. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, I was five. Yeah. I had a lot of fun in that one. I think, I, yeah, I saw it in theaters. Did you ever watch the show Dinosaurs? Uh, with like the really creepy baby. Oh, I know about that. Remember this shit? Uh, yeah. Dinosaurs. Oh God, that I. Ugh. It was like essentially the scene from Natural Born Killers with Rodney Dangerfield in it. <laughs> Where he's like a weird, rapey father in a classic sitcom. But it's the, basically that show with dinosaurs and for dinosaurs. kids. 
Well, it was dirty, man. Rapey dinosaurs? It wasn't rapey, but just the style was like just as creepy. It, it looks like it was directed by Oliver Stone. Oh, <laughs> that's my one sentence review of dinosaurs. It looks like it was directed by Oliver Stone. Incredible show. Mm, Incredible. Inc- really? Yeah, because it wasn't quite aimed for kids or adults. It was in that weird middle ground. Like the tick? Yeah. It's like, but <laughs> coincidentally enough, that demographic is known as the Nico demographic. <laughs> that's where I live. <laughs> it's not family friendly enough for kids. But not mature enough for adults. No one wants to live there. The, ne- the- <laughs> That's the Nico zone, baby. Ugh, you're st- you've just entered the Nico zone. Yeah, my podcast sort of falls into that category. <laughs> Everything we do here at Too Many Thoughts. I'm more scared of the Nico zone than the Twilight Zone. Yeah, the intellectualism for children, but the <laughs> dirty jokes meant for adults. <laughs> I've completely misjudged this podcast, I think. Oh, man. What are we talking about? We're talking about movies is what we're talking about. Oh, yeah, that's right. We're talking about movies. Like we always do. Yeah. We're not like talking about like like how how's your how's your have your expenses been have you have you shopped have you gotten anything nice this time of the year Nico? Uh, no, man. No, have you? I got pneumonia. Oh yeah, that's right. You got pneumonia. <laughs> that's why we had to take a week off. Yeah, but I don't care. I don't care about your pneumonia. Uh, no, I haven't got anything. I'm just uh, I've been building rooms in my basement and yeah. uh, and watching movies, yeah. enjoying watching flicks, enjoying the weather today. Nah, man. No, why not? The weather's fine. Well, I live in New England, and, uh, <laughs> I'm, I, which just means I'm reserved to not being happy. <laughs> that's really what that says. Yeah, that's. <laughs> I'm unhappy, but I can live with it. Mm, yeah, that's, that's, that's the Connecticut way. Put on every single postcard for Connecticut. We're not happy, but we live with it. But come, we live with it. Come to New England. And if you have a high tolerance for misery, you come join us. Um, I, I had some movies that I watched. Have you seen anything for pleasure as of late? Or is it just podcast watching for you? No, I've just been trying to get Twin Peaks out of the way. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah. I finished the first episode of season two um, uh, last night. Okay. And it was really weird. Yeah. <laughs> it was really weird. You don't say. It was quite good. Okay. It's quite good. Good. You're into Twin Peaks, though. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Well, we're going to talk about David Lynch a little bit later on today. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, he's going to be a main topic of conversation on these podcasts for a few months, I think. I think the coming months, yeah, we should be getting on that. So I have three little movie reviews that I've been sitting on, and I have nowhere else to talk about them other than here. So okay. this is what I'm going to do. Um, I saw Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. Oh, really? Huh? Yes. Okay. Guillermo del Toro produced it and worked on the script. I was under the impression that he directed it. Uh-uh. But when I walked into that theater, I quickly realized, oh, no, just a nobody I've never heard of. <laughs> um, it's like a better version of Goosebumps. Oh. Essentially. Okay. So it's, I guess, based on a book. And the book is not very good. The book is like a pulpy teen horror. I love the book, though. Oh, you've seen, you've read the book. Oh, God. We used to read that shit all the time in like fifth grade and whatnot. Yeah. And it's basically like Goosebumps, right? No. Well, Goosebumps is like one contained story, essentially. And then, uh-huh. you know, no, like the blob that ate everything and, and the, you know, the haunted mask and all that other shit. Sure. Uh, but, um, this they're like no they're like it's like an anthology series okay the, the novels yeah. okay so yeah so it's i don't know how closely that's related to the book i have heard it's better than the book i've heard that this is an elevated adaptation okay. um you'd really like the movie that's my review really oh <laughs> yeah <laughs> did you like the movie um for what it was i just feel like i'm not in a place to review it just because it's so not my thing <laughs> And, okay. So I just like go into it. There's this weird 
political undertone. There's this sort of the, an allegory about the Nixon administration. The okay. thing came out, or it takes place in the 70s, and there are Nixon ads playing in the background, and it's hinting at some political commentary without quite explicitly getting there. All right. And I thought all that stuff was pretty interesting. Uh, I didn't think it was like overly scary. There were like three jump scares. I saw this with my younger cousin when I was on vacation. Okay. Um, and we like jumped a few times and ended up in each other's laps. But other than that, like we were pretty okay. Uh, <laughs> okay. We're both not. We walked into the movie theater together because we were supposed to go as a group and everyone uh, dropped out and we're sitting there and I go, you know, I hate horror movies. And she goes to me. <laughs> I hate them too. Why are we here? <laughs> and I go, I don't know. I thought you liked horror movies. No. Well, shit. So we were the wrong people to see it. Okay. But I would call it fun. Okay. That's fine. Yeah. It's, it looked like a fun film. Yeah. I think you would like it. There's a few horror films coming out later than the year that I'm, I'm very excited for. One of them is The Lighthouse by Robert Eggers. Of course. And the other is Nightingale. The Nightingale, which just got released by Jennifer Kent who did The Babadook, and apparently it is fucked up. Yes. The Nightingale's a real controversial movie, right? Yeah. Because it involves rape and things of that nature? And just brutality, you know, that, that, that we haven't seen in a while, I guess. Right. It, from the, it sounds like I spit on your grave 1800s. Oh, no. <laughs> and, like, yeesh. <laughs> I don't ever want to experience that, but at the same time, my morbid curiosity might be too much. Set in 1825, Claire, a young Irish convict woman, chases a British officer through the rugged Tasmanian wilderness, bent on revenge for a terrible act of violence he committed against her family. Okay. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. <laughs> yes, I've heard um, very severe violence, very severe sexual violence mm-hmm. specifically, and so that... Uh, we're, we're, I think, in for a very controversial fall. I'm fine with that. I'm No, I'm cool with it, too. I just feel like i'm gonna be a bit exhausted by the debate surrounding a lot of these films Ugh. well let me be honest though like it's i am not excited for anything yeah i am not excited for a goddamn thing coming out aside from these little weird disturbing horror movies i honestly i, I if, i'm not really excited for the newest star wars yeah well that was my takeaway after seeing that footage i'm just like really jj's gonna do the tease of ray turning to the dark side i just don't i don't the double-edged lightsaber means nothing to me Uh, it's so lame i know just just... let ryan johnson do it (laughs) no one will let ryan johnson do anything ever again aside from i guess knives out no i think he's doing a new trilogy isn't he is he i think he's still working on it wow that's amazing i think yeah Yeah. I, i don't know uh yeah i i mean i'm looking forward to the soderbergh thing on netflix and the irishman will be what it is i'm not excited for the irishman (laughs) look i i'm just looking forward to seeing some of my favorite directors again it's like there are five guys i will see everything they make Mm -hmm. like noah bombach's coming out with something i don't care if that's good or not i'm I'm gonna watch that as soon as it comes out soderbergh has my trust scorsese at least has my attention Mm -hmm. so yeah but you're right though there isn't really the signature release yeah years are just getting worse and worse that's what I think it is. It's just getting worse and worse and worse. Well, once upon a time in Hollywood, yeah. it held me over. I yeah. was okay with that. Uh, so I saw that. I also saw some movies from last year. One called The Front Runner. Oh. Hugh Jackman. Yeah. How was that? Uh, well, it's the Gary Hart story, mm-hmm. which is something I didn't know a ton about going into this movie. I just knew that he was a really popular guy running for president, and then he was caught with another woman in his apartment. Um Bill Burr's in it. 
Okay. I think that's pretty funny. And he's just playing himself. Figures. That was my favorite part of the movie. Oh, oh, Other than that, total snooze fest. Yeah, not good. Yeah. Real snoozer. Yeah, I think that that's a movie that came and pretty much everybody forgot about it. I didn't even know w- that it got released. Yeah, <laughs> immediately mean, people forgot about yeah. it. Yeah, I saw a trailer for it, but then it, it, I was just like, okay, where did that go? You know? Yeah, it. The movie is just sort of a a a, a loyal retelling of the original story. Okay, and there's not much of an arc, and it's a lot of just politicians talking in political talk right. but not in like an interesting way not like in a west wing aaron sorkin way mm-hmm. it's just very uh, just a bland retelling and i needed more out of hugh jackman personally mm-hmm. you know hugh jackman i think this was meant to be an oscar bait performance and didn't have jason reitman directed it so he's oh. a guy that works on award stuff usually but nah jk simmons is in it he's fine very forgettable would not recommend the front runner uh would recommend a movie called searching though have you heard of Searching? Oh, I heard it was great. Yeah. So here's Searching. John Cho and Deborah Messing from Will and Grace mm-hmm. and a bunch of other randos. The movie takes place entirely on a desktop computer. Mm-hmm. So you don't leave the perspective of the desktop. Mm-hmm. So occasionally John Cho will like FaceTime with another character. So you'll see both of them on camera or you might see security footage or news footage. But... I would say a good 30% of the movie, you're following a mouse scrolling through search results. Interesting. So that's the movie. It's made by this guy named Anish Kaganti, who I guess worked on Google ads before this. That was like his biggest claim to fame was a Google Glass advertisement. Interesting. Um, So he's a tech guy. And the accuracy with how these operating systems work is incredible. Wow. All like there's so many times you watch a movie and you're following a desktop and you're thinking that's not actually how it works. Mm-hmm. It's not buffering the right way. The mouse doesn't move the way a mouse should normally move. But this is like the operating system is 100% right. There's one particular scene. The the, the plot of the story essentially is John Cho's daughter goes missing yeah. and he opens up her desktop to try to track her down okay. and figure out this hidden side of her life. And um there's a scene where he's trying to get into her Facebook account, oh but the password isn't in there. So you sit there with this cursor on a desktop, hitting reset password, sends it to the email, but I don't have the password of the email. So I got to reset that password and that sends it to another email. And he goes down this rabbit hole, finally getting the original password so he can reset the other password to reset the other password. Wow. So it's very accurate. And they go back to like 2003 and show old versions of Windows XP Hmm. and booting up. And the photos take a while to load. And that's what I respected more than anything else. Interesting. It felt like I'm actually watching a computer. And they get a surprisingly decent amount of tension from just mouse movements and typing in words. And it's a really smart, clever movie. All right. I would recommend it a lot. Sounds different. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those gimmicky movies. Right. It's not like a traditional film by any means, but um, just super clever. And it's another one of those things where it's like, just make movies, people. <laughs> if you have an idea, just make it. Like, this could have been made with no stars for $5,000. Yeah. yeah. I, I saw the trailer. See, I was not impressed by the trailer when I saw it, but like when I actually read about it after the fact, people were like loving it. I was actually very surprised. Yes. So I can agree with them. Okay. This is a good film. I would recommend it. Sweet. Yeah. It was on like HBO or something, so I caught up with it. All right. Just a great like spontaneous, hey, I'll check this out on a Friday. Cool. 
but you still haven't seen Suspiria. Shame on you. I haven't. <laughs> <laughs> I'm slowly making my way yeah, through, yeah. The, through the decade. I have seen season one of Twin Peaks, so you need to get on this shit, man. I still owe Nick a whole season of Death Proof. <laughs> That's never going to happen. <laughs> That's never going to happen. It's de- no, Death Note, not Death Proof. Yeah. <laughs> a whole season of Death Proof. Wait, what? Oh, yeah. Death Note, yeah. Death Note, yes, yes. One of these days. All right, should we talk about some old movies now? Yeah, let's give it a shot. I'm looking forward to this one. Because <laughs> we have a bit of a conundrum coming up. What do you mean? Oh, we just have a conundrum. Okay, yeah, you're actually right. I know exactly what you're talking about. We have to talk about this year honestly, and we mm. need to somehow maintain the the ethics of this podcast. Yeah, we do. So that'll be interesting. Uh, 1997 is this year's or this week's Movie Hall of Fame year. Uh, here are the six movies we're talking about. Men in Black, Jackie Brown... Goodwill Hunting, Lost Highway, Titanic, and Boogie Nights. Mm-hmm. You happy with these nominees? Yeah. All right, I'm glad. <laughs> Are you happy with these nominees? I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> Care to guess what the highest grossing movie of 1997 was? Avatar. <laughs> I was going to say Batman and Robin. But... <laughs> no, of course, Titanic, Titanic. number one. Uh, Lost World, Jurassic Park, number two. Mm. Okay. Financially successful movie. Men in Black, Tomorrow Never Dies, and Air Force One round out the top five. Oh, yeah, I thought this would be an interesting little thing. Uh, the Razzies. Yeah. I never talk about the Razzies. No. This might be a good little thing to do. So, uh, Worst Picture in 1997, a movie I have not seen. Here are your nominees, by the way. Speed 2, Cruise Control, Fire uh, yeah. Down Below, Batman and Robin, Anaconda and the Postman. What do you think won the Razzie that year for worst picture? Uh, the Postman. The Postman. Yeah, okay. I've not seen it. It's the Kevin Costner film, right? Yeah. Yes. Here, here it's terrible. Yeah. Kevin Costner also won worst director. One of two men to have won both best director at the Oscars and worst director at the Razzie. Sure, that makes you happy that it's Kevin Costner. It does. Kevin Costner also won worst actor and Demi Moore. <laughs> One worst actress for G.I. Jane. Really? I haven't seen G.I. Jane. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, neither have I. <laughs> <laughs> one of those forgotten Ridley Scott films. Is that right? That's a Ridley Scott movie? Yeah. Damn, dude. Yeah. Wow, Razzie winner. Yeah. Um, National Film Registry. Two films from 97 got in. Uh, well, it's obviously Titanic. Yep. And the other... Mm, Damn, I don't know. It's not... Is it Boogie Nights? No. Okay. Is it on this list? No. A movie that you failed to nominate, LA Confidential. Oh. That's got... What? Why is that in the national... You want to have this now? Why didn't you nominate LA Confidential? I don't love LA Confidential. You don't? No. I think that movie's awesome. I like it. I think that movie's way better than Men in Black. I'm sorry. I disagree. And dare I say better than Lost Highway. Oh, well, that's okay. I don't love LA, LA Confidential. I never have. It's it's a convoluted mess of a plot. Which I mean, it's okay. It's a noir film. Yeah. But, uh, again, like it's it's. I don't know. Maybe it's because I'd seen Chinatown many many years before that. But I was just like, oh, this just you know, it's Hollywood Chinatown to me. <laughs> yeah. And it's like fine, okay. Are but- you bothered by like the pulpiness of it too? Because like Danny DeVito, remember he's like a crime writer yeah. for some porno magazine. It's just, yeah, yeah, I guess. I didn't I didn't love Guy Pierce in the movie. Okay. I don't love Russell Crowe in the movie. I don't know. There's just a lot of like I don't care. 
Yeah, too it's, much plot for you. Yeah, it, it's a lot of it just doesn't work for me on a on a on a purely emotional level. I'm like, yeah, it's it's well made. It's just like whatever. Hmm. I think it's probably telling that not many people have seen this movie. What LA Confidential? Yeah, because it was very critically acclaimed at the time, and I really like it. But it's not one of those movies that has a big shelf life on cable. No, I don't feel, and it seems like a pretty mainstream, accessible Hollywood movie. You think it would be on FX all the time? Oh yeah, and it's not. Yeah, but again, it's just like it's 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 just complicated. <laughs> I yeah. don't know. It's not. It, it maybe it isn't just my kind of film, which is strange because I do love like neo noirs. Obviously, we're gonna find out next year. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, well, we're gonna find out actually today because that was an Elroy or sorry James Elroy novel. Yeah, that's right. Um, and uh, he's a great crime writer, as is Elroy Leonard uh-huh. El, or Elmore Leonard. Yeah, that uh, that did Jackie Brown. He wrote yeah. the Jackie Brown book. Cool. So. Yeah, I'm I'm just sort of into that kind of stuff. Yeah, I it, it it always reminds me of the usual suspects, and I don't know why. Yeah, maybe I saw them around a similar time, which well, is something. It's about, Kevin Spacey's in both of them. Yeah, but no, but it's different than that though. It's something about the style, I guess. Okay. Yeah, and you're not really into that style. Yeah, I don't. Even, that's the thing. I don't even like love the usual suspects, which we talked about. Yeah, I think we did. I like it, but again, you know. Okay, here are your honorable mentions. Uh, Donnie Brasco, pretty good movie. Pretty good. Uh, Selena, Jennifer Lopez, about the chick that got shot by her fan club. It's whatever. President, yeah. Uh, Chasing Amy. Never seen it. Pretty good. Kevin Smith. I'm not a huge Kevin Smith fan. I've talked about that. Yeah. Ben Affleck. It's it's a fun little movie. Uh, I wrote down Anaconda, which we'll be talking about <laughs> next week on Why Is This a Thing, so put a pencil yeah. in that. Starship Troopers should be an honorable mention, even though we already did a podcast on that. Yes. That was banned from discussion because we did an hour and a half on Starship Troopers, so... <laughs> Wouldn't anything more. Uh, man, it's a strong year, 97. Any other year, I would have figured out a way to put private parts on this list. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Private parts. I would have tried, but I just don't see any room. Wow. WNBC. 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 Pig Vomit is one of the great <laughs> characters of the 90s. Oh, no. I swallowed. Oh, I swallowed. <laughs> I love that fucking movie. That's a movie that should have been terrible, but is somehow pretty damn good. Yeah. Because Stern's good in it. Yeah. Stern's not bad in it. Wasn't he? He was nominated, I think, for a Razzie. I think he was. And I don't know why. He's great, actually. Yeah, totally unfair. He's good. Robin's good in it. It's a solid movie. It's really not bad. An entire kielbasa all the way down her throat. You gotta love that, folks. So good, man. So good. And just Giamatti is just oh my God. Is iconic. He's iconic in that. I love pause. You goddamn motherfuckers. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great Giamatti voice. Yes. Man, tip of the cap to you, sir. Yeah. Um, damn, we're never going to get an opportunity to discuss an Austin Powers movie because Austin Powers International Man of Mystery came out that year. Let me say that that has one of my favorite visual gags ever with the guy who gets run over by the steamroller oh the the zamboni yeah no 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 it's a steamroller oh okay yeah you're just saying no no No! it's like a hundred feet away (laughs) oh behave (laughs) i do i i i love the first one shagalicious baby uh the fifth element are you into that movie uh it's you know what yes feels like an adam movie it is I mean, it's a Blade Runner ripoff, right? Th- through and through, it's a good Blade Runner ripoff, though. 
Yeah, it's solid. It's it, it's more of an action movie in that way. It's 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 bizarre, but it's it's a ton of fun actually. Lost World, Jurassic Park, as we said. Listen to this summer lineup. Oh God. Okay. Here are four movies that came out within two months of each other. All right. Imagine being in the movie theater. If you're you and me, we yeah. would have been in the movies every other weekend. <laughs> this is what came out. We start in May. Con Air. Oh boy. A month later. We get Face Off. <laughs> a month apart, Con Air wow. and, and, and Face Off. Then we go into Air Force One. Yes. And then we wrap up with a little chaser in July, Copland. Oh, wow. What a summer. Damn. What a summer for shitty action movies. That is a great summer. <laughs> I would have seen each of these three times in the theaters. I would have never left the movies. That's like the peak of 90s cheese right there. All, oh, all rolled into one. Just a tasty summer lineup. Oh, delicious. Oh, I would love that. What a great year for 97. This is one of my underrated movie year, 1997. Wow. All right. And then, by the way, you got the game in September. Oh, cool. Nice little sweetener at the end. I like the game. Yeah. Uh, LA Confidential, Starship Troopers. Uh, Flubber, I put down. Why? What? <laughs> Flubber? <laughs> I just remember wanting to have Flubber as a kid. Me too. Yeah, that's the only reason why it's there. Uh, Wag the Dog, I, I like quite a bit. Yes, it was. Wag the Dog's a fun little political uh, commentary. Mm -hmm. Hercules, Hercules, Hercules. Movie that Abby has not seen, and I don't understand why. Soon to be remade, I'm sure, yeah. with like Dwayne the Rock Johnson as Hercules. <laughs> I love the original Hercules. Do you? I'm a big fan, yeah. That era for me of Disney is a little hit or miss. Mm-hmm. I think, didn't Hunchback and Notre Dame come out around the same time? Yeah. Treasure Planet. I think that was later. Just a little bit later. Yeah, it's whatever. Uh, Life is Beautiful. Good foreign movie. Not great. Feel good movie, though. Yeah, pretty good. Yeah. Um, as Good As It Gets. Okay. Could it's, easily be here. It's solid. Is not here. Yeah. James L. Brooks. Mm -hmm. Well, that is your decision to live with. I hope you can sleep well at night. Not putting as good as it gets on this list. Yeah, I'm fine. Tremendous film. I love that movie. Uh, and, you know, I'm never going to nominate it, but I got to give a shout out to The Devil's Advocate. Oh, <laughs> what? I got to do it. You're a fan? Of, uh, okay. All-time guilty pleasure. It's not a bad movie. It's Pacino is off the fucking wall in that movie. Everyone's off the fucking Keanu. wall. Keanu. Charlize Theron. Oh, what happens to her <laughs> body in that movie? Ah! terrible it's not not pleasant it's, it's a solid movie for what it is fun as hell yes all time guilty pleasure okay I, agree. I will only admit it in the safe confines of this podcast and we will never speak about it again okay i'm gonna tell everybody okay nico likes the devil's advocate did you know nico likes the devil's advocate he's <laughs> <laughs> was his charlie's theron revenge fantasy <laughs> oh god uh all right let's begin yeah let's begin okay let's get to this i think we're gonna blow through a couple of these yeah specifically this one sure <laughs> uh men in black yeah is directed by B barry senenfeld yeah former cinematographer of the coen brothers fun fact mm. and the director here let me give you his follow-ups to the original men in black just for a little context here mm -hmm. uh i'm not skipping a single movie after men in black he goes on to make wild wild west men in black 2 R.V. <laughs> Men in Black 3. Good. Oh, really? Yep. Let's talk about that. And uh, finally, a film that features Kevin Spacey as a talking cat, Nine Lives. 
Masterpiece. Sure. Uh, point being, Barry Sonnenfeld, not a great director. <laughs> well, he also made Get Shorty. He did make Get Shorty. Fun little movie. Yeah. And then I think the first two Adams Family movies. Okay. Uh, let's talk about this right now. So you love this movie, obviously. Oh. What are your thoughts on the sequels? Uh, two is kind of... It is. It's whatever. It's kind of forgettable. Okay. It's I like the. I like some of the stuff in it, like uh, trying to get uh, Tommy Lee Jones to you know remember who he is. I mean, that's the whole idea behind that one. Right. It's fun. Yeah. What do they ultimately do there? They because I haven't seen the sequels, by the way. Well, they get progressively like sillier, like right. closer to like what Sonnenfeld was originally like going for, I guess. Uh-huh. Uh But again, it sort of diverges tonally. Oh, especially in the third one. Oh my god. Okay. But uh the second one gets like a, like far more ridiculous and they ended up they end up uh getting his memory back by like like putting him through like this bowling ball rig that like zaps him or some shit. It's like <laughs> it's deliberately convoluted and Tony Shalhoub gets his head blown off a bunch of times in the movie. So, Word. So you'd probably enjoy it for what it is. Sure. Um so the chick just doesn't come back. No. Just That's doesn't come so back stupid. at all. And they re- but they replace it with uh, Rosario Dawson. Oh, word. Yeah, and she's pretty good. Um, and it's, it's, I don't know what it is about that movie. There's something just kind of, uh, I, I don't know. It's just kind of lame. Rip, Rip Torn does karate. Okay. So well, I'll never pass that up. So yeah, it's, it's interesting, but if something about it just makes me just want to like push it off to the side. That being said, I quite like Men in Black 3. Brolin? Yes. Okay. He is so good in the movie. No shit. <laughs> he is He's like, I could not think of a better casting choice than uh, getting Josh Brolin to be a young Tommy Lee Jones. It is like pitch perfect. Yeah, it did feel pretty natural. I oh do remember God. that. It's yeah. so funny. Everything he says is hilarious. And then um, uh, Bill Hader has, a, has an awesome cameo as Andy Warhol. And it's just the funniest thing. Okay. Th- this one like steers more into the silliness, but like goes for it. And unlike like the second one, which is kind of in that gray area. So... Uh, I I, I kind of took it as like a light comedy with like aliens and people in, in suits, and it works. So why did they then decide to put Thor and Creed's girlfriend in a <laughs> in a Men in Black reboot? Uh, well, I didn't see the Men in Black reboot. <laughs> yeah, entitled Men in Black International. Sure, I heard it wasn't that great. Wasn't the whole point of Men in Black is that they only live in New York City? Is there like no need? Because they said all the aliens just hang out in Manhattan. Essentially, well, that's the joke though. Right. It's like because all all the weirdos that you would expect to be aliens, guess what? They're aliens. Right. That's the point. I wrote down some of those, by the way. That's actually my favorite joke in the movie. Mm-hmm. Al Roker, Danny DeVito, uh, Sylvester Stallone, Dion Warwick, Newt Gingrich, <laughs> George Lucas, and Steven Spielberg. All aliens. All aliens, according to Men in Black Logic. Um, we should say, by the way, uh, get this out of the way. Based on the Marvel comic yep. of the same name, Men in Black, technically a Marvel movie. No one really thinks about it that way, but it is. Uh, starring Tommy Lee Jones, Will Smith. Linda Fiorentino is the name of the forgettable female sidekick. Mm-hmm. Man, that was just a shameless, yeah. let's shove in the female character because we need to. Yeah, I mean, it's the same deal with her and fucking, uh, what the hell's the name of the movie? Dogma. Oh, <laughs> she's in Dogma? Yeah. Oh, man. Could be the most forgettable leading actress. Ever? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, unfortunately. Aside from maybe Gretchen Mole. Who the hell is Gretchen Mole? She was from Rounders. She was like supposed to be the next It Girl, and then she did nothing for like twenty years. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah. Well, She's one of the notorious like the one that should have been stories. I see. All right. Yeah. yeah whatever. Um, nominated for best art direction and best original score at the Oscars, and winner of best makeup. Mm-hmm. A police officer joins a secret organization that polices and monitors extraterrestrial interactions 
on Earth. Yep. Um, so I take umbrage with you nominating this, obviously. <laughs> Why? Because I think it is perhaps the most disposable movie I've ever seen in my life. Woo! It's so disposable. You're an idiot. It's so whatever. <laughs> no. This movie is one of my, like, uh, ironically, maybe one of my favorite comedies. Did you watch it as a kid? Oh, my God. I watched this thing a fucking ton of times. Okay. I still watch it today. Really? Yeah. I love this movie. Um, I was not one of those kids. Wow. So I suppose that's just my problem. <laughs> is a lot of my friends were obsessed with the Men in Black movies, Mm -hmm. and there was something about it that didn't sit the right way. It's like the posters look like a badass spy thriller, (laughs) and then you watch it, and it's a bunch of ALFs. Mm -hmm. Like they're fighting ALF. (laughs) That's the movie. Okay. And that mix of tone, even at a young age, rubbed me the wrong way. I remember it rubbing me the wrong way. Because I don't think it's bad here. It doesn't doesn't work in like uh, Men in Black 2 to me. Like, okay. like it sounds like your experience with like the Men in Black films is sort of like my experience with Number Two, whereas like like I said, Three goes all in on the jokiness and it kind of has like one solidified tone. But I like kind of the grittiness of this one, and mm-hmm. I like sort of the 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 way it balances the grittiness and and the comedy. I just it's hilarious, but at the same time, it's like oh, that's actually some you know pretty effective sci fi shit. I mean, it's like if Jar Jar Binks. Was was all the aliens in Star Wars. I mean, that's basically what the movie is. And I just remember that throwing me off. Maybe as a kid, I wasn't in on the joke. And perhaps that's part of the problem mm-hmm. is the movie is supposed to be taken not so seriously. And I, again, I, I couldn't tell you exactly what it was, but I saw it and it was not one of those instant classics for me when I saw oh, it the first time. I love everything about this movie. I think every time I've seen it since, it's like, oh yeah, this is a fun comedy. It's not a bad movie. I wouldn't dare to call it a bad movie. And there are a few interesting jokes, but um, uh, I, I can only speak as a nine-year-old here because that's how old I would have been when I saw this movie. Okay. And it was, uh, just didn't jump out to me as something worth revisiting. It's got some of my favorite Tommy Lee Jones moments, aside from him and The Fugitive, though. It's got my favorite Will Smith, I think, ever. Give me one of those donuts with all them sprinkles. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's The Fugitive. We love The, we love the Fugitive. The best. Yeah. Still the best Tommy Lee Jones performance. Oh, God, yeah. yeah. But I just love, like, 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 there's so many just funny lines in this, like, who breaks into a jewelry store and steals or doesn't steal all the jewels. Someone not looking for jewelry. <laughs> just like stuff like that. And there's it just pervades everything. It's like everywhere in this movie. I just love this film's sense of humor. And uh I, I, I quite like the way that it looks. You know, and again, it's it's I, I find it incredibly memorable. Hmm. I don't know. I lo- I love I love where it goes. I I love the the effects. I love it, it like I said, I already talked about its sense of humor, but again I you know I, I like it's another one of those movies that does like an origin story properly to me, but like in a, yeah. in, a, in a way that just feels like 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 right for these characters. Yeah, I think that's fair. And Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones are great in it. Yeah. There's no question. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were born to make movies like this yeah. in a weird way. Um, I just think it comes down to the design of those aliens. <laughs> I just feel if, like if those aliens weren't all Ewoks, you know, if they weren't that goofy, I could get into it a little more, I think. <laughs> But it just felt like a weird blending of tones that I I didn't love so much. We'll say this, though. Holy shit, is Vincent D'Onofrio iconic in this? Yep. Oh, boy. (laughs) Let me just read this little excerpt from IMDb. Vincent D'Onofrio researched his role as Edgar by watching a lot of bug documentaries. (laughs) In order to achieve his character's distinctive walk, he put on knee braces so he couldn't bend his legs and (laughs) taped up his ankles. (laughs) 
Give me sugar. <laughs> Bro, if that ain't Vincent D'Onofrio's method oh my God. to a T, like the guy, I mean, that is basically his career is he picks movies that are beneath him, but he goes all in. Dude is amazing in this. Yeah. It's one of my favorite D'Onofrio performances. Incredible. He is like perfect. All right, Vincent, Oddly we're going to have you playing an alien that's wearing a guy's skin, but the skin is falling off at the scene. <laughs> This movie's great, dude. This movie is so awesome. Every scene with Vinny D is the best. This definitely rates about a 9.0 on my weird shit meter I say that all the time. I say that all the time. Uh, yeah, female character, whatever. I, uh, I just feel like... I don't get it, man. This movie's great. I'll never get it. Mm, I'll never quite get there. That's strange. Because I, I actually like this one a lot more than like LA Confidential, for example. I don't know. As good as it gets, just would have been a much better conversation. Yeah, but right. eh, it's okay. Well, I'll, I'll let you have your fun. Because you didn't like it? Yes, because I didn't like it. Oh, God. It's all about me, damn it. What are we going to do next year? Next year is going to be just stupid. <laughs> next year is going to be rough. <laughs> I know what's coming, and it ain't going to be fun. All right, let's talk Jackie Brown. Uh, somehow, like, the film that has been the most discussed of the year somehow. <laughs> I think it's the most discussed of, like, any Tarantino film on this podcast. We bring this thing up a lot. Man. A lot, a lot. Jackie Brown's a weird movie. Mm-hmm. Written and directed by Quentin Tarantino, based on the novel Rum Punch by Elmore Leonard, starring Pam Greer, Samuel L. Jackson, Robert Forster, Bridget Fonda, yeah. Michael Keaton, and Robert De Niro. Nominated for Best Supporting Actor at the Oscars. Mm-hmm. Do you remember who? Oh, Max. Uh, what the, Robert Forster. Robert Forster, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I would have nominated at least two other supporting actors in this movie, but that's just me. Mm-hmm. Uh, a middle-aged woman finds herself in the middle of a huge conflict that will either make her a profit or cost her life. Um, so, the forgotten Tarantino movie in many ways. It's the most underrated Tarantino film, in yeah. my opinion, because I love this movie. Yeah. I really do. And I have no shame in saying that. And mm. I don't understand wh- wh- where, what the hostility is towards this movie. I just think at the time it was misunderstood. Mm. And that happens. Um, we're expecting Pulp Fiction. We're expecting Reservoir Dogs. Yeah. And we get this weird, vibey hangout movie yeah. with some plot and not a ton. Yeah. Um, and in many ways, it feels like a crime novel watching it. Yeah. Where the plot's sort of beside the point. You're just hanging out with these quirky characters. I agree. It's a very L.A. movie. Um, and it doesn't feel like something Tarantino would would want to make. It doesn't seem like the type of material that would attract him. But I think that's exactly what drew him to the material in the wake of Pulp Fiction. Oh, God, yeah. And we, we talked about this, uh, I think, a, a couple times, especially leading up to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, is that before Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, this was by far far and away his most mature film mm-hmm. and you can just see that with his with the themes he explores with you know uh, um uh god uh jackie brown and her, and her relationship with uh uh robert forster is that what yeah you're max that? cherry is yeah. the character's name but a, a, an actual sense of like desperation with these characters though but it's not like there's nothing pulpy about this movie i mean not really to me well the story's pulpy but i wouldn't call the characters of the performances pulpy yeah i was gonna say it's not delivered in a pulpy fashion yeah at all it's just like you know a couple people just stuck in a bad situation right you know but i love again this movie is just like i just it's just kind of lovable yeah i think it's the best way i can describe it i love you, you described it as a hangout movie and yeah that's that's what it is but like it's it's kind of movie where it's like i 
I kind of miss the characters after I'm done chilling with them. Right. Yeah. Tarantino compares it to Rio Bravo. Okay. Which is a Western I've never seen, but is uh, similar in tone, I guess, to this. All right. Not a lot of plot happens, Mm -hmm. and you keep waiting for plot to happen, and it never comes. And I think that was the experience with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood as well for a lot of people. Sure. Is you're waiting for the Sharon Tate shoe to drop, but you don't realize that the story's happening somewhere else. Yeah. And I think that's what a lot of this movie is. It's just spent in malls and department stores <laughs> and in bail bonds offices. It's and true. These characters are just talking about shit. Mm-hmm. And it's not overly violent. It's vulgar, but it's not violent. It's not not really that violent at all. No. You don't really see a lot of the violence, like, firsthand. It's a, a lot of it is, like, from a distance. The only one that, like, they show somewhat explicitly is Robert De Niro's death, yeah, De Niro I guess. Yeah, at the end, yeah. It's really about it, yeah. But no, aside from that, like, yeah, not much. Yeah. Um, so, I just think people were expecting one thing and they got another, and... It's exactly the type of movie I would have made if I was Tarantino in 1997. I'm the hottest director on the planet. I can make whatever I want. Mm -hmm. Let's, like, slow down. I just made two movies. Let's prove that I can go to another gear. Mm -hmm. And he certainly proved that he was capable of going to that other gear, I thought. It was interesting that people didn't catch on when the the opening shot uh, and, and title card almost tells you that... The, this film is going to be taking itself a little bit more seriously because it's directly ripped from The Graduate. It's exactly The Graduate, so. yeah. Yeah, Pam Greer on the uh, the moving sidewalk. Mm-hmm. It is also an explicit homage to some of Pam Greer's exploitation films, yes. including Coffee and Foxy Brown. Mm-hmm. Um, some music is used from both films um, in similar situations. I think Pam Greer's actual voice is on one of those tracks. I think... Oh, wow. Yeah, one's an actual Pam Greer track. So... This is just what I love about Tarantino and why he'll always speak to me. He takes what is pretty rudimentary, run-of-the-mill crime novel shit, Mm -hmm. and he puts on this layer of homage. That's true. And that just warms my heart. (laughs) It warms my heart that he thought to cast Pam Greer in this. And he decided to make a white character a black character. Mm -hmm. And he decided to pay homage to movies that most people haven't seen. Yep. It's not quite a black exploitation film, but... It uh, it educates the audience on the history of movies in sure. such a charming and like real way. I agree. You know, yeah. and that's why something like this will always speak to me. It feels like his heart's in it. Oh it's just yeah, a very heartfelt movie and a very yeah. personal, sweet, sentimental movie. Yeah, I you can, know, can't yeah, can't fault it at all. Really, that's what I was saying about it just being lovable. Right. Like there is just something about it that just feels like he's is a lot of sentimentality for this story, and it's different because he didn't actually. Uh, it's not originally his. Sure. It's very different for it's him. the only adaptation, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Elmore Leonard read the script and said, this is better than my my book. Really? He did say that at one point. He said, yeah. I love all the changes. I love that you called it Jackie Brown. Mm-hmm. Just go for it. He thought it was ingenious. Uh, and how can you argue? Yeah. Um, Sly Stallone turned down the role of Luis in this movie. He was oh, originally re- supposed to be De Niro's character. Okay. And then De Niro took it. Interesting. Which is my way of saying that, thank God, Sly Stallone turned down this role. Because <laughs> this is literally one of my fucking favorite De Niro performances. Yeah, probably. I'm not. Too. Like, it is so brilliant. <laughs> the fact that Robert De Niro, raging bull, mm-hmm. taxi driver. Is in this thing. Just plays this loser ex-con <laughs> who smokes pot. With with uh, his his old cellmate mm-hmm. is just brilliant. It's like he should not be here. 
What a flex that was for mm-hmm. De- for Quentin Tarantino to cast De Niro in this movie. It's it is very strange when you think about it, like especially in the like because what did he had what had he done before? I mean, this is at, yeah, this is after uh, uh, way after uh, Goodfellas too. I yeah, mean, this is six years after whatever. Jesus, I mean, his level of clout is pretty tremendous, and then he just plays like a complete loser, right? Complete loser. But Tarantino does that thing that he always does, which plays on your expectations of De Niro. Mm-hmm. And he does the whole heavy breathing thing, and it's yeah. a little bit, you know, a little, little bit. You kind of, kind of disrespected him a little bit, you know. Yeah. And, but he does it throughout this movie, and uh, it's so interesting to be like, oh yeah, De Niro can be a loser too. I mean, like, there's a version of De Niro where he's just playing bit parts. Mm-hmm. In 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 weird crime novels, L.A. or L.A. neo noir crime fiction, um, it, he's just so funny. Yeah, the scene where he shoots Bridget Fonda, that sequence where he shoots Bridget Fonda, that bitch was getting on my nerves. Don't 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 say another word. Don't say another word. And then goes to the, when he's talking to Sam Jackson, and he goes, you know, you have to do what you have to do, but we can't have that bitch living on us. <laughs> You shot Melanie? I shot her twice. <laughs> Is she dead? Pretty much. Pretty much. <laughs> I think could be the funniest Tarantino scene of his entire career. Oh my god. I don't think I've ever laughed harder. I love it. So fucking good. Yeah. And yeah. Bridget Fonda's incredible in this. Yeah, she is. Robert Forrester makes a comeback. Another mm-hmm. great casting. I agree. Uh Sam Jackson, he says oh this God. is one of his favorite movies. I think one of his best Tarantino performances. Yeah. And he's been in a lot of them. Yeah, I know. Uh, it's just a great cast, great hangout movie, mm-hmm. and I will ride for it till the day I die. And I love all these Johnny-come-latelys, these fair-weather Jackie Brown fans, yep. are finally coming out of the woodwork defending it. I don't know why it took them so long, but I maybe it... Is this one kind of long? That might have had I, it's I two and a half hours. I remember someone telling me that it was just like like because not much happens and because it's very long that it was sort of a, a bit of an aversion for them. But yeah, I I don't know. Like I I really watched this movie and have a hard time understanding why anybody wouldn't like like it. It's just so charming to me. Yeah, and just so like emotionally satisfying, especially at the end. I love that final shot of her driving away and sure and singing the song. It's just yeah, you can't get enough of this movie. I read a Roger Ebert review of the movie and. One of the lines that stuck out to me is that all these characters are smart. Yeah. And that's what's so refreshing. Most crime fiction, it's like, it's a convoluted plot, and it's wrapped up in this nice, delicate bow, Mm -hmm. and the characters don't necessarily operate with their best intentions in mind. Mm -hmm. But every character in this, you can tell, is competent and has an agenda, and you know exactly what their motivations are, and you trust every decision that they make. It's just whoever is one step ahead is going to come out on top. And that's the intrigue of this movie and the awesome cat and mouse game. It feels a lot like, I, I say this all the time, Breaking Bad is a very similar oh, yeah, type you know, story. I guess that does make sense. You're right. Where it's like Gus Fring and Walt are both brilliant, mm-hmm. and it's just whoever's going to make the one extra move. Whoever thought 20 steps ahead instead of 19 steps ahead. Okay. That you makes know? sense. Yeah. I always appreciate crime fiction like that. It's mm-hmm. just about smart people doing smart <laughs> things. Because it's so easy to make your character stupid. And I wouldn't call any of these characters, with the exception of Louise, stupid. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. This I guess this movie works for me in a lot of ways that, like, I guess LA Confidential doesn't. In a, I think it's a better movie than LA Confidential. Yeah, I do too. I'm with you on that. Uh, so, uh, Ray Nicolette, the character played by Michael Keaton, 
shows up in Out of Sight, which is an Elmore Leonard adaptation as well. A lot of his characters overlap oh, in the novels. Yeah. So Out of Sight came out a year later, and Michael Keaton reprises that role. Really? Yeah. So okay. I'm sure we'll be talking about that at some point. Uh, Who directed Out of Sight? Steven Soderbergh. Okay, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Awesome fucking movie. Have you seen it? Yeah, dude. Nope. Dude, hell yeah. Nominating that one. Oh, yeah. Whenever we get around <laughs> to it. Absolutely. I actually think better than Jackie Brown. Wow. Okay. Yeah, if I had to pick one. Um, so, yeah, he pops up in both movies. A little Easter egg for you. Uh, when Pam Greer walked into the audition for Tarantino, there were all posters from 20 years ago of her movies on them. Oh, my God. All right. <laughs> She recalled uh, this happened. She she said, when I was just a piss and vinegar kid, that's when all these posters were from 20 years earlier. Uh, As I said, did you, she asked Tarantino, did you put up these posters because I was coming over? And Tarantino goes, no, I was going to take them down because you were coming over. (laughs) Didn't do it. We love Tarantino. So it's just like, you know, (laughs) he's just a fan. What a fanboy. Oh, that probably charmed the hell out of her. Yeah. yeah. It's like, you actually love my movies, and it's just such a great homage to cast her in this. Oh, <laughs> that that actually makes me like Tarantino. I know. It's like, oh, I'm sorry. I was actually going to take them down. I didn't want to embarrass you. I didn't want to embarrass you. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So good. Good on you, Tarantino. Love Jackie Brown. Me too. Okay. Love it, love it, love it. Let's move on. Um, Somehow I was stuck nominating this. Oh yeah, I don't know why didn't you you didn't like throw me a bone here. What do you mean? Why didn't I throw you a bone? I had to nominate my weird movies. That's right. Because um, this is like one of your faves, isn't it? Yeah, Goodwill Hunting. <laughs> oh fuck yeah, I love this movie. Directed by Gus Van Sant, written by some kids named Matt Damon and Ben Affleck. That's what they were. What did they ever do? Nothing. Not nothing at that. They'd done Dogma. <laughs> we're back at Dogma. <laughs> Leo, uh, I'm sorry, Leo. Uh, Matt Damon did the Rainmaker, didn't he? The did Coppola he? movie. Oh, right. That was like his first starring role. Didn't know that. Yeah, uh, yeah. Starring Matt Damon, Ben Affleck, Stellan Skarsgård, Mini Driver, mm-hmm. and Robin Williams. Winner of Best Supporting Actor and Best Original Screenplay at the Oscars. Two iconic Oscar wins, I would say. Yes. And also nominated for a bunch of awards, including Best Picture, Best Actor, Best Supporting Actress, Best Director, Best Film Editing, Best Original Song. And best score, Will Hunting, a janitor at MIT, has a gift for mathematics, but needs help from a psychologist to find direction in his life. Um, by far and away the movie I've seen the most on of this these list? six. Yeah. Uh, it, for, it's either that or Titanic for me, probably. Okay. Yeah. I don't know which I've seen. Probably Titanic, but we'll get there. This one's on cable a lot. Yes. Um, and it works very well on cable because it is one of the most quotable movies i've ever seen (laughs) oh god yeah and just has a badass script yeah and originally was not that badass originally was very very strange right yeah what was it about like will hunting as like a cia operative or some shit like that right so an earlier draft of the script had will hunting being recruited by the government to become a crypt analyst Mm -hmm. based on his mathematical ability but Rob Reiner got his hand on the script and reportedly reviewed it and told Damon and Affleck to eliminate this subplot altogether. Okay. He said that first third of the movie where he's found by the college professor, that's your movie. All Just right. cut out all the other stuff and expand it some more. And they did. And what a great decision it was. Oh, yeah. Um, a, uh, a very important movie for Harvey Weinstein and Miramax. Um, 
was a huge independent film in the 90s during the independent boom and of course created two stars in Damon and Affleck. Mm -hmm. Uh, Why did they stop doing this is what I'd like to know. What do you mean? Why did they stop writing things? Oh, Matt Damon and uh, and, uh, Ben Affleck? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. What happened? Their egos got to them, I suppose. I guess. They wanted to act, man. Yeah, man, but... And they're good in the movies. Yeah. Yeah, but you think they're just that much better at writing. I think they're incredible screenwriters. Yeah, you're probably... Yeah, yeah. This is a generational script. Oh, God, yeah. Like, I wouldn't call it a generational movie, but I would definitely call it a generational script. Sure. Mm -hmm. I mean, the monologues here are just incredible. Oh, yeah. And so I wonder, do they have another one in them? Is it one of those situations where it's like, we have one masterpiece, and after that, it's all shit? Because didn't they write a movie called Jerry together, which is another Gus Van Sant movie? I Did they write that? I think they wrote it. Or was that Casey Affleck? I know Casey Affleck was in that one. Let I me he- look that up real quick. I heard that one was very, very weird, and it's just two guys wandering around in the desert, and then one kills the other. Right. So Jerry is... Yeah. <laughs> I think so. Uh, Casey and Matt Damon actually wrote it together. Okay, yeah, yeah. But I think that's the last script he worked on. Shit. All right. It's kind of weird. Yeah. I'm just wondering... Are they capable of more? Because if they were, I would assume they'd make more. Well, I guess not. Maybe it's the the juices have run like dry. If they haven't worked on it in a while, they're just not interested. I yeah. Guess. But you want them to go back to this? Clearly. I do because I fucking love this movie, and you love this movie too. And I don't. I think it's safe to say it's the best thing they've ever worked on. Yeah. It's my brother, my younger brother's favorite film too. Yeah. His favorite movie is Goodwill Hunting. Yeah. Uh, I I don't. It's 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 great, and it's it's a sad movie. It gets me kind of every time. It's a heartbreaking Matt Damon performance, and but more importantly, a very heartbreaking uh, Robin Williams performance. Yep. It's my dad's favorite Robin Williams performance. I think it's most people's. Yeah. And it's so oddly relatable <laughs> if you're going through like issues and whatnot. Like I found this movie to be very therapeutic, ironically. I wouldn't call it oddly relatable. I would call it just relatable. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, like, well, not to say that we are like, I'm not, I'm, I'm nothing like. Uh, Will Hunting. Yeah. But there's something about... You could have fooled me, Adam. Yeah, well, you know, you know. What, you didn't see the... Oh, that's right. I forgot to show you my stab wounds on my chest. Oh, <laughs> I thought you were going to say I walked in on you doing math equations. Oh, <laughs> oh, come on. I'm not that special. No. No, this movie is like... I, the conversations that Will has, not just with Robin Williams, but the other uh, um, um, uh, psychologists... What are they? Skarsgård? Oh, when he's, yeah, when yeah. he's messing with the other ones. Like, stuff like that. Like, like I, I relate to a lot of things like that in this movie. Just being like, I don't want anybody to help me. Yeah. Like, screw authority. Go away. And he that's sort of an idea that carries on throughout the entire film with just this guy just being, you know, very uh, defensive and pushing everybody away. Square peg in a round hole. Yeah, exactly. Right. And how difficult it is to find someone that's like a perfect fit. Yes. Yeah. You know? And that that carries on through not not just with his relationships towards Robin Williams, but also a little bit with his friends, but more importantly with the uh, Mini Driver, Skyler. Yeah, yeah. By the way, I have a serious crush on Mini uh, Mini Driver. I love really love Mini Driver. Okay, hot take. <laughs> I hate her in this movie. Whoa, hot fucking take. Oh, that's upsetting. I don't get it. That's sad. I don't get it. I love her. Oh, I really don't get it. I don't get her. I don't find her like dateable. I, I, I <laughs> you don't find her dad. I, I, I seriously, I don't get it. I don't understand how Matt Damon could fall in love with her. Oh, this girl's adorable. 
Yeah. I love her. Yeah. Okay, I will say, I saw this fun fact in my research that Harvey Weinstein didn't want to cast her because she wasn't pretty enough. Um, and I, I don't mean to take Harvey Weinstein's side. And I like I, I don't... The point is that not, not that she's attractive. I just... I don't understand why you would throw away an opportunity with NASA in order to be with her. I guess that's my only point. I think that that's, you're missing the point of the movie, though. I guess I am. I just don't get it. I don't get their chemistry. I, I don't understand it. I disagree with that. When he dumps her, I'm not, like, sad. Aw, really? No, I'm not sad. Oh, that's strange. Man, you're a, you're a heartless... <laughs> and I thought I was the heartless bastard. That scene is... I just don't get her. I'm sorry. That scene is wonderful. I love the scene where they're just in, in bed together, and she's saying how she could be a pro basketball player, and he's just like, you're not that tall. Yes, I am. No, you're not. <laughs> I don't get it, bro. Not my type of girl. All right. Fine. Not an eco girl. Fine. Is that fine. fair? Fine. I'm sorry, fine. mini driver. In- insulting my mini driver. I don't think like her performance is that bad. I just don't get the casting. <laughs> I just don't think they have great chemistry. Whatever. I'm sorry. Whatever. I disagree. I care way more about his relationship with Affleck in this movie. Sure. You know, when he tells him, like, if you're here in 20 years, that's going to be a fucking insult. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to kill you. I'm going to fucking kill you. That ain't a threat. It's a fact. I'm going to fucking kill you. You're sitting on a winning lotto ticket here. <laughs> I don't like that line. Yeah? Don't like Yeah, that, that that one to me always came off as a little like like hammy and saccharine. It's like, you're sitting on a winning lottery ticket, but you're too much of a pussy to cash it in. I'm like, well, there's a lot of that in this movie. Thanks, man. But it's sold by the actors. I mean, like, the it's not your fault scene is probably my favorite scene in the movie, and it makes me cry every time I see it. Yep. But it's also like... Oh, yeah, you're in a shrink's office and they're melting down because the guy was beat up as a kid. Yeah. It's like you could be a little more subtle than just, sure. it's not your fault. Well, look at me. It's not your fault. They don't, like, push it in your face as much as some movies might, though. I think they did a pretty, a fairly effective job cinematically of doing that. Yeah. I liked it. I think they're just painting the whole therapy thing with broad strokes. The movie itself is very broad in that way, though. Right. I don't find the movie to be, like, the most nuanced character study or anything like sure. that. But it's it's a great, like, like in, in the... <laughs> In the realm of like accessibility, like I understand why so many people love it. I understand why why I like it. It's just like it's easy to identify with those things. It's not something that's like, I don't know. It's not hard to grasp, but in a good way. Yeah. Uh, Robin wins best supporting actor for this, his first Oscar and only Oscar. Mm-hmm. Um, if you get a chance, go back and you know those script to scene. Oh, shorts. I, I've actually seen this one. Okay, and he just. He improvises a, a shit ton, at least on the the my wife used to fart in her sleep scene. Right. Well, that yes. Well, that was totally improvised, mm-hmm. and like Matt Damon is laughing in the scene because he's legitimately laughing at Robin. Yeah. And I think they even said that the camera shakes a little bit because the cameraman is stifling laughter. Mm-hmm. Um, the park bench scene, mm. which incidentally I should say, um, as someone that lived in Boston for a year. This is just a phenomenal Boston movie. Okay. This to me is the quintessential Boston movie. Cool. It's it, it ain't uh, the Departed. I would put like it's like the Departed, the Verdict, and Goodwill Hunting are my three Boston movies, and I would say this is this captures what it's like to be there. The accents feel real. They're authentic. They're genuine. It's how people actually speak to each other. But this park was right down the street from where I went to school, uh. so I went here maybe once a week to this very park just to sit down and chill and like <laughs> listen to music and okay. you know write stuff down in a notebook and just like hang out cool um 
so I went to school fall of 2013 and left uh, the the spring of 2014. Mm-hmm. Robin Williams died in the summer of 2014. Uh-huh. So this was a place to me that meant a lot. And it had this added weight. When he died, that bench that they sat on to yeah. recite the scene what turned into like a makeshift memorial of Robin Williams. Uh, oh, wow. And people left a lot of touching messages and they left notes and flowers and they oh, wow. did little graffiti with I Gotta See About a Girl and stuff <laughs> like that. Um, so this... I think just has a special place in my heart, not even since seeing it for the first time, but revisiting it over and over again and recognizing those locations and the Aubon Pond is this place in Cambridge that I've been to. And it's it, it just, it's such a cool little a slice of life location movie. Wow. Okay. And that's why it moves me so much. Um, but anyway, back to the, the script to scene. Um, they had that scene on one of their uh, okay. montages. And the final line of that scene where he goes, your move chief when he tells Will, he does the whole thing, you're just a stupid kid. You've never been to the Sistine yeah. Chapel, but you read it all in books. He improvises a lot in that scene. The final line was supposed to be, it's up to you. Will, it's up to you. Okay. And it's like, you know, you got to give him more credit for this script. Because <laughs> your move, Chief, is so above and beyond a better line than it's up to you. <laughs> and I do wonder, as much credit as we give Damon and Affleck, yeah. Half this shit is Robin Williams ad-libbing. Oh, yeah. Writing it on the fly. You could be right. You know? Yeah, you're probably right. I mean, those... You wonder, like... Because, I mean, Oscar voters tend to vote based on, like, specific scenes in a movie. Right. So, like, Raging Bull pretty much wins for editing exclusively because of the boxing scenes. And and you wonder if they chose best screenplay because of, like, these scenes with Robin and... Matt well, Damon. yeah, it's all the montages you can fit into the little Oscar reel where yeah. it's like the nominees are and they show you the one scene and that's why actors will win uh, Oscars for just the one shouting scene. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like... At the end of this movie, this is the best ad lib. Damon says this is the, his biggest contribution to the film. Uh, when he goes, that son of a bitch stole my line. Yeah. Totally improvised as well. <laughs> Robin was supposed to just read the letter and like smile to himself. Mm-hmm. And on set, he was just like, yeah, I'm going to try something here. Okay. Son of a bitch stole my line. One of the great quotes in the entire movie. <laughs> Got to see about a girl. Son of a bitch stole my line. Ugh, it just... It's those little things yeah. that make the movie, the little quotes. and Makes me uh, miss Robin again. I mean, I guess anybody would say that about this movie, but it's true. Yeah. A um, couple behind-the-scenes things. Studio wanted Brad Pitt and Leo for the two friends. Harvey Weinstein said nay. <laughs> Why did he say nay? It's going to be Damon and Affleck because it's their project and they're going to yeah. do it. All right. Mel Gibson was supposed to direct as well. It could have been good. Yeah. Who knows? Um, so the story goes that uh, a uh, a uh, on page sixty of the script, Damon and Affleck wrote a completely out of nowhere sex scene between Will and Chucky. <laughs> they took it to every major studio, and nobody even mentioned the scene. Mm-hmm. When they met with Harvey Weinstein at Miramax, he said, "I only have one big note on the script about page sixty. The two leads, both straight men, have a sex scene. What the hell is that?" <laughs> Damon and Affleck explained that they put that scene specifically in there to show them who actually read the script and who didn't. As Weinstein was the only person who brought it up, Miramax was the studio chosen to produce the film. <laughs> I have heard that one, and that's an amazing story. What a great little amalgamation of uh, 90s things. Freaking badass. I would love to do that. Mm. That'd be kind of scary. 
Yeah, I could not imagine. <laughs> so about that gay sex scene. So Spielberg. So Mr. Spielberg. <laughs> What's up with that one scene? Uh, yeah, what else do you have to say about this movie? I don't know, man. I don't know. Like I said, it's... Uh, it's it's I don't know. It's one that I've I, I will continue to revisit forever. It's just it, it's an it's one of those like comfort food kind of movies, I suppose. Yeah. You know, we and we all kind of have those, but those that's one there's a few movies that I could watch if I'm ever feeling down and this is a great one. It's like this and Alien. Always <laughs> You're such a weird kid. <laughs> what happened to you? I don't know. <laughs> Did dad take out the wrench? <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. I was going to say I was going to say belt, but he goes with wrench, doesn't he? He goes because fuck him. That's why. <laughs> Such a great line. <laughs> oh boy! All right, yeah, I, I I could recite quotes from Goodwill Hunting all day, but I, I won't. I love this movie, though. Yeah, of course. Let's let's. You want to move on to the the most quotable film on this list? So quotable. The most of the most quotable of all the quotables. This screenplay just pops, doesn't it? Oh yeah. This thing just just rises right out the page. You know, it's very linear. This movie. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> let's talk Lost Highway. Oh boy, a we, movie I had not seen until this week, <laughs> as I was ailing from pneumonia. I was in a fugue state, had a hundred three fever, and I was like, you know what? Let's pop in some David Lynch. Your pneumonia sounds a lot like this movie. <laughs> <laughs> Written and directed by David Lynch, starring Bill Pullman. I wrote down Pill Pullman. <laughs> Apologies. Yeah, Freudian slip. Yeah. Uh, Bill Pullman. Patricia Arquette. Uh, Balthazar Getty, which remains one of the great names of all time. <laughs> Hell yeah. Oh and Robert God. Blake. Yep. Fun fact about Robert Blake. I know this one. A too. David Lynch favorite. So this movie's about a guy that kills his wife, allegedly. Robert Blake in real life charged with murdering his wife. Yep. And subsequently acquitted on trial. <laughs> Yeah, that's, little thing. that's that's a little, you know, I'd be scared to act opposite him. <laughs> uh, I also have two other bits of casting. Mm -hmm. This one fucking shocked me. So Gary Busey's in the movie, which is whatever. Like, I'm surprised he's not in more David Lynch movies. Yeah. But y'all, when I saw Richard fucking Pryor <laughs> as the mechanic, as Balthazar Getty's boss, mm -hmm. what? Yep. Turns out it's Richard Pryor's final on-screen performance. It is? It is! Oh my god. He died in 2005. Didn't make a movie in between there. Oh, that's weird. <laughs> Richard Pryor in a wheelchair. What the fuck? <laughs> oh, I had no idea. Okay, yeah, that that, that re recontextualizes the film, I think. <laughs> I, th I think it does quite nicely. If the you just view it as the true life story of Richard Pryor. Is the ca the casting in this movie is such a funny, weird, mixed bag of a thing. I mean, then you got like Robert Loja. Yeah. And then uh, Patricia Arquette. Yeah, she yeah yeah, yeah, yeah that's for right. sure. So, I I I think that's always the case with Lynch movies. It's just funny. Like I I don't know. I lo I look at the post. If I were to see the poster of this film in the lineup of actors, I would think something very different than what we ultimately get. Right. Well, it's always the case with Lynch, right? Yes. Yeah. All right. So I will say this. Um, <laughs> I have a very hard time viewing this thing in a bubble. Okay. Because so much of it is exactly the same as Twin Peaks The Return. <laughs> okay. I'm not kidding. It just was so obvious to me, because this was his follow-up to Firewalk with me. Yeah. David Lynch had ideas in his head, and he wanted to put them on screen, and this was like Twin Peaks Season 3 that he never got to make, except 15 years later, he actually got to make it, 
and it's better. Okay. So, like, the red curtains, mm-hmm. the doppelgangers, the use of doppelgangers. Yep. Um, those shots where the characters just walk in and out of darkness are heavily used in Twin Peaks The Return. Well, I would like to... You can't spoil Twin Peaks The Return for me, damn it. I haven't spoiled anything. All right, all right. Don't worry. Well, I, in that case, I would say that Twin Peaks The Return is more like Lost Highway. Right. But I saw them out of order. So I wonder if this will maybe color your reaction to Twin Peaks The Return. Okay. I mean, it'll be interesting. I mean, I see a lot of like David Lynch through lines even in the first couple seasons of uh, of Twin Peaks, like with some of his earlier films. Yeah. Not a tremendous amount yet. I, I have a feeling I'll get there. Mm. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, this movie is fucking nuts. It is. <laughs> it is pretty nuts. You love this movie, though. In a way. Okay. And I'm not like 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 purely in love with it but this movie is one of the most interesting experiences i've ever had like hypnotically just okay. sitting there and not fully under again never fully understanding what happens it's a david lynch film yeah but just being completely entranced by the strangeness and and loving every direction it goes in and just being like wow yeah i'm you know never forgetting this for as long as i live you like it more than maholland drive see i'm not a huge maholland drive fan but i like do. i like it but uh but in a way, I kind of appreciated this one more because I think it's because this one's scarier to me. Oh, it's certainly yeah. chilling. Yeah. 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 There's something very scary about it. And the tone is very bleak and very dark, mm-hmm. um, which is one thing that it does not have in common with Twin Peaks The Return. Although it gets very dark at times, it allows itself to be funny. Okay. Um, this movie, I got to be honest, I found it a little boring. Okay. I was a little bored. All right. Uh, I I did not have the same experience of just falling into this groove because, again, these characters and and these stories are much more ideas and tone poems Mm -hmm. than they are A plot, B plot, C plot, traditional films. Um, So, like, it's it's not necessarily about the story that you're following, but it's about the reaction that you get to the story. Mm -hmm. You know, it's an acid trip. That's what David Lynch does. (laughs) Um, And I just didn't find this one nearly as immersive as his other movies, and I certainly didn't find the plot as interesting. Well, it's funny because the movie is not like, like I I look at like er, like something like Eraserhead, and that movie is just going in so many odd directions. But it I, it's the furthest thing from conventionality mm-hmm. in a movie. Whereas this thing is one movie, and then it becomes a completely different movie but it sticks to that it's not like within each movie it's doing a bunch of weird shit really yeah i like it's it's strange because it it really does feel like david lynch had like two ideas for movies that he just placed together and then had had some crazy magical idea as to how to like actually put them together with i don't even know what was going on (laughs) (laughs) well whatever happened inside that jail cell i mean shoot us some tweets do whatever you can help me <laughs> but um yeah i it's it's a strange idea again it's i i've i you know reflected on it a lot afterwards i never came to any solid conclusions but i just remember thinking like okay that's an interesting way to try to get across two ideas <laughs> yeah uh, uh what i found interesting about the two stories is the first one is sort of an erotic thriller yeah. and the second one is a pretty traditional L.A. crime movie mm-hmm. with like an evil gangster boss and it's still uh, kind of erotic though. In a yeah, way. Ero- sure, but there's a femme fatale and it's a lot more noirish yeah. than that first thirty minutes, forty five minutes. There is a Marilyn Manson strip scene. Yes, Marilyn Manson is in this film, <laughs> playing himself apparently. Yeah, 
fucking hell like this i uh, okay yeah that's sex dungeon there or whatever the porn mansion whatever you want to like call it sex it's quite trafficking interesting. almost it was weird yeah um a lot of these characters again this is unfair because the movie came out in 97 but i've seen so many of these lynch archetypes before yeah i know you know it's the patricia arquette femme fatale but also like angelic sex goddess pops up a lot um not Super different from Laura Dern in Wild at Heart and mm-hmm. uh, or or um, uh, Isabella Rossellini in Blue Velvet. Mm-hmm. Similar characters. You also have the like cartoonishly evil mob boss, yep. which you see a lot. And then you got that man with the pale white face <laughs> who is like the otherworldly supernatural demon character. Who pops up a lot in lynch films for some reason yeah you have a lot of that in twin peaks and you have that character in mahal drive as well who's on the phone it's like the, the yeah. little person on the phone um so i feel like just a lot of it was borrowed and to say that this movie isn't original is not fair because it's certainly very original yeah i just felt like there was a lot of david lynch stuff done not as well okay that's fair you know yeah um i also uh, hmm. um I just find the performance is kind of flat. And that's something I normally don't say about David Lynch movies. Maybe. You know? Uh, I don't know. Like, <laughs> I just found that the relationship at the beginning, obviously the point is that this couple is in turmoil and they have a cold, distrusting relationship with each other. I'm not sure I ever thought of it as flat. It felt very deliberate to me. Yeah. You know, and when he, especially because there are certain performances that are clearly supposed to be cued a little, little higher, like Robert Loja when he's beating up the guy. Yeah. <laughs> For, for, what, did, what, what did he say is beating him up? No, tailgating. Tailgating, that's right, yeah. One thing I cannot tolerate is tailgating. <laughs> just beating the Really, sh- that's the one thing. <laughs> is that your issue? Is that why you're a mob boss? I guess so. Uh, <laughs> to take revenge on the tailgaters of the world. <laughs> Bastards. Yeah. I'm one of them. Um, I should mention the plot of this movie. So, I, I will just say this. I'll give the setup. I won't spoil anything. After a bizarre encounter at a party, a jazz saxophonist is framed for the murder of his wife and sent to prison, where he inexplicably morphs into a young mechanic <laughs> and begins leading a new life. Yep. So, here's the theory. Spoilers for this film if you have not seen it. Okay. This is the most coherent theory I found in my Googling. Because I'm not smart enough to decode this myself. I had to take to Google. It's just annoying hearing these theories because you know David Lynch is like, no. Right. You just picture his voice in your head. It's like, yep, no. Yeah. Sorry, guys. I was just in a dream one time and uh, <laughs> I was driving down a highway and I got lost. And so I did this movie called Lost Highway. Banzai. Banzai. <laughs> um, so, again... A theory, not the theory. <laughs> Bill Pullman actually murders his wife at the beginning. Okay. And he goes to a jail cell, and when the lightning strikes and he switches into the young mechanic, that's his fantasy. So he's living an alter ego. He's living the life that he wish he led. All right. And he's being pulled around in multiple directions from this this mystery man. All right. Who represents his, like... His envy and jealousy and distrust of his wife. All right, I see. And that's why at the end of the movie, when he kills the mob boss, stand, they stand next to each other in solidarity. Okay. You know, that's sort of his alter ego pushing him in these, these multiple directions. All right. That's okay. So all that stuff is fiction. And then at the end of the movie, when he's driving away mm-hmm. in, on the highway in the car, he starts shaking. Remember that? Yeah. And and, so that's him in the electric chair. Oh. So that's his life actually ending. 
Interesting. Right. So that's what sort of, it makes sense to me. Okay. It's too simple. Yeah. yeah amen. Yes. <laughs> it's, too, it's too simple. Right. I don't care. It's like, I hear this again. I'm serious. I hear this stuff and I'm like, what, what's it? Why even bother? Right. Like, why are even, why, why are, why is there anything written about this movie? <laughs> <laughs> Ironically, it's like, yeah, no, I, I don't, I don't think any one theory like totally fits. Sure. I think that's just the nature of David Lynch films. Yeah. And this is not an exception. Yeah. I think you're right. It's just too clean. Yeah. It's just too neat. It's like, how do you explain the guy at the beginning, Phil Pullman going back to his house and saying, what's his name is dead. Remember that? Yes. So I guess this was like a real thing that happened to David Lynch. I'm not getting you. According to David Lynch, the first scene in the film is based upon an incident which occurred in his own life. He says that early one morning, his intercom buzzed, and when he answered it, a voice that he didn't recognize said, Dick Laurent is dead. (laughs) However, by the time he got to the front of the house to look out the window, there was no one outside. That's creepy. So yeah, I just think this stuff was thrown in there, uh, and it's never going to track logically. No. You know, the, the interwoving of the worlds, but... That is, I guess, the simplest way you can interpret it. But really, it's just a tone poem exp- sort of exploring the ideas of loss and alter ego and regret and, mm-hmm. you know. And some of some of those tone poems resonate very well with me with Lynch. This one resonates with me, certainly, but I will also admit maybe not as much as, you know, Blue Velvet. Oh, yeah. Blue Velvet, to me, still remains his best movie. Love Blue Velvet. Yeah. Um... I'm glad I watched it. I had to see it eventually. Mm-hmm. I don't think I had this, as strong a reaction as you did. Um, but it's David Lynch. Yeah. You will never hear me speak a bad word about David Lynch on this podcast. No. no. He, doesn't, he doesn't deserve a bad word to be spoken about him. Yeah. That man is an angel. All I got to do now is get through Inland Empire. <laughs> that thing is like three hours long or something. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I still need to do that as well. But... I think that's all that's left for me. Yeah. Oh, Dune. I haven't seen Dune. I haven't seen Dune either. Yeah, those are the two. Everything else I've banged out, though. Oh. All right. That's it. Good. Moving on. All right, we have a dilemma. All right. What, do you want to talk about the next two films in tandem? Yes, I do. Okay. Well, I mean, yeah, for the most part. Um, So we can cross out those first four movies, right? Yeah. Is that fair to say right now? Yeah, we're done talking about it. Men in Black, Jackie Brown, Good Will Hunting, and Lost High will, will not be inducted into the movie Hall of Fame. Yep. Uh, so Titanic and Boogie Nights are left. Okay. And I'll say this on Front Street. Boogie Nights is one of my 10 favorite movies ever. You adore it as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is my sentimental favorite. If it was the Nico Hall of Fame, then Boogie Nights would just get in automatically. Sure. But we did set this criteria for ourselves. Yeah. And I want to speak about these movies in terms of those criteria mm-hmm. because we may have a moral dilemma. Yeah. Is that fair? Yeah. Okay. You didn't want to nominate Titanic. Explain <laughs> that to me. I, everything that could possibly be said about Titanic has been said. Honestly, uh, what else are we going to talk about? I mean, it's a groundbreaking film from, from a visual effects perspective. It's one of the most iconic stories told. It's the, it was the highest grossing film of all time. One of the great romances on film. One of the great finales ever. It's, just, it's, 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 a, it's a very good movie. I like it quite a bit. Seems like you don't, though. But like, I don't care to talk about it. Feels like you don't really. I don't like need. It. To, I don't need to talk about the movie. There's not. It, I don't think it's an interesting discussion. And I, at the same time, it's like if you're putting it in the Hall of Fame, you're almost putting it in out of like obligation in a yeah. weird way, like at a default. It, but it's a movie where it's like, uh, like 
as far as its impact, it's like, yeah, it's, it's, it's got a legacy. It's got an impact and fine. But again, I could also say like, is that legacy and impact maybe not as, uh, as profound as something like, God, I don't know, like, like seven samurai. Not even. Well, I don't think anyone's comparing Titanic to seven. No, samurai. no, no. But, but I'm, I'm talking about like, like, like the merit of said quality and said impact, you know, it's uh. like. <laughs> I don't agree, man. I don't know. I, I, he, okay. Question: Where is America on Titanic in 2019? Mixed. Right. Why is that? I think th- because they 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 saw it and they're like, oh, this romance is kind of cheesy, and it is. Huh. It is. I don't find it that way. No, I agree. Okay. I don't dislike the like. Some people hate it. And some people can't stand it. And, you know, you get the memes of just, 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 you know, get on the fucking door, you know, like that kind of thing. Yeah, but that's just stupid. Yeah, I know. But that like sort of like as soon as people realize that detail, they're like, oh, shit, they're right. Fuck this movie. You can never unsee it. Exactly. And and I'm not on board with that totally. But at the same time, I do agree. Like this romance is a little like it's it's sentimental even for Spielberg. (laughs) Huh. Uh, I I don't know if I agree. I really like Kate Winslet in it. Um, I think Leo is whatever. Yeah. Um, but I, I always thought that they had pretty good chemistry. And sure, like, it's a very convenient romance. They fell in love at first sight, essentially. But fine, It's like man. Lady and the Tramp, you know. It's movies. I mean, Out of Sight does the exact same thing. I mean, yeah. it's it's movie making. This is yeah. what happens. You have, a, <laughs> you have only two hours to convey this idea to me, so do it. How come these strangers fall madly in love with each other? No reason. No reason. <laughs> Exactly right, man. Rubber is the skeleton key to unlock <laughs> all movies. All movies to understand how it works. I I love Titanic. It's it's one of the earliest films I ever saw. Yep. Uh, first time I ever saw on screen nudity. Changed my life. Amen. Yes. <laughs> Very. You know what? This is important. Damn it. I'm here, not, here. I'm not apologizing for this one. Okay. Here, here. Yes. Kate Winslet's titties were also my first titties on screen. <laughs> That's a great point. Yep. PG-13. I didn't know they could do that in PG-13 movies. This, this movie means a lot to me. Like, they actually put boobs in movies? What is that? It was shocked me. It, it absolutely blew my mind. They only exist on statues. <laughs> no, they actually have boobies in movies. <laughs> Incredible. Uh, I should point this out. Zach Capernegro's favorite movie. I know. His favorite movie. This is interesting. Of all time. I find that kind of weird, though. Like, this is this is his favorite movie? This is it. It's a great movie, but, like, your favorite? Like, okay. So, we talked about James Cameron a lot the other day. Yes, we did. And, um, so here's what happened. James Cameron was obsessed with shipwrecks. So, he went under the sea, and mm-hmm. he looked for shipwrecks. And he's like, bro, what if I film the Titanic? So he goes to the studio and is like, I want to make this movie called Titanic. I have a little script written. You can check it out. It's basically Romeo and Juliet at sea. Mm-hmm. But really, I just want to get underwater and film this fucking shipwreck. Yeah. So that first 45 minutes with Bill Paxton is James Cameron's vision. Okay. And the problem I have with the movie, the biggest problem I have is I find that 45 minutes to be unspeakably boring. Because it is unspeakably boring. It's so dull. Yep, and I, I agree. don't care. Because no one in the theater is as captivated by what they're seeing as James Cameron would have been in that little pod. Sure. And that's the issue. It's Because like, it doesn't look good from the big screen. I'm sure if you were actually in that thing, it would have been amazing. Mm-hmm. But we're not actually in that thing. Right. So I think right off the top, it's like this movie is bigger than it needs to be almost. Yeah. 
It's like you can tell this story without showing me the real footage of the Titanic. Sure. I, I enjoy the fact that someone went to the Titanic and shot it. I just don't need that in my three-hour narrative romance. Sure. Right? Um, I think the Bill Paxton stuff, I think the stuff with Old Rose kind of sucks, man. It get, To me, it gets better towards the end, I guess. Uh, I, I like some of the inserts with them. Uh, when they're actually interviewing her. It's not all bad. It's just at the beginning. It's a little rough. Right. I mean, the stuff at the end where she throws the... the I love that. Yeah, the, the heart of the ocean into the ocean is cool. And then where she dies at the end. Yeah. It's a great little moment. Yeah, that stuff's cool. Um, The heart of this movie, though, is in the shipwreck. And yeah. that hour and a half, it's like, it's long, right? It's like an hour and a half. Oh, God, yeah. It takes forever. Yeah. Like where they actually hit the iceberg. It's in a, one of the most iconic things ever. Right. The hour and a half... Of the Titanic sinking is, I think, the most thrilling sequence I've ever seen. One of, yeah. I really do, man. Like, I remember seeing that, and it was so tense. I don't know if I remembered the the ending or if I'd heard the ending. I, I probably knew that Jack died when I first saw it. But my heart was pounding yep. as they're, they're, they, they start drowning in the freezing water, and they're shaking there, and Rose is like, it's so cold, and mm. they're climbing to the top of it, and people are falling off the side of the ship, and yeah. people are throwing each other off, and the one guy shoots himself outside, and, it's crazy. and, and it's Billy ca- Zane is shooting at them. It's like, oh, it's craziness. It's, it's like well-captured chaos, which, right. is, which is a hard thing to do, actually. But it's like it's done like with such extensive detail too, yeah. and that's the thing that really makes it like it. You know, the, obviously the ship doesn't just sink like an earlier because this movie has been made before. Yeah, uh, like the night that uh, what, what, I forgot what it was called. The, you know, the night it's that, another Titanic movie. Yeah, what the hell was it called? Oh my god! Let's see gonna, if I can get that. Kill me. Like uh, the um the, the ooh, I have a bunch of the nights. The night that didn't end, the night that panicked America, the night that never happened. Oh my God! What the fuck is it? All right, I'll look that up real quick. Yeah, but there is a previous Titanic film where, again, they don't they don't really show the Titanic sinking in like extensive 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 detail. Right. But here it's like, okay, yeah, we also have to show the a fact night that, to remember. A night to remember. There we go. Nineteen fifty eight. There was also a movie called Titanic in fifty three. Yeah. Yeah. But it's like the boat doesn't just go down; it snaps in half. Oh, the, sure. The smokestacks don't go down in one piece; those fall on people. Yeah. You know, when you're jumping off to save for your life, you might hit the propeller on the way down. Right. Like the the detail of the carnage is really staggering in this. But it's not like like fucking 2001 that goes overboard. For sure. It's just or 2012. You mean? Or 2012? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Not 2001. <laughs> we love 2001. Yeah, we do. 2012, the the shitty Roland Emmerich film. Yeah. Uh, where it just it's just like I I don't even understand what's happening. This is just like like you feel like like the 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 human desperation here and everything that happens, and you just can't believe this actually occurred. And how slow it happens yeah. too. I, I wouldn't call it boring. I don't mean I mean slow in, in the best possible way. Where it's just like ugh, eating at you. Like when is this going to end? Yeah, you know what's going to happen, and you know it before the crew knows it. I know. And so when they come to the realization, oh wait a minute, like the water's going to fill up that one room, and it'll be fine, and then they'll fill up the other room, and it'll be fine. But once they hit that third room, <laughs> we're out. Yep. Um, and so you just see like, oh, that was kind of weird. Everybody wear your life vests. All right, you're dragging us out of our rooms for some stupid emergency. What's this about? Yep. Um, the inevitability of it and the tension is palpable. Yep. And I can only imagine in 1997 being in the movie theater for this. Oh, it's great. In the midst of Titanic uh, hysteria, 
uh, yeah, I would have seen this in the theater like two, three times. Oh, this is yeah. just such a great experience. Yes, it's an incredible cinematic experience in that way. Yeah, I would say my favorite, like as far as like like because you like thrill as far as like thrilling sequences are concerned. Mm-hmm. Ooh, that's tough. Like like, what's the most thrilling sequence ever filmed? It just feels so real. I probably go the Omaha Beach sequence for me personally. Yeah. That's the only like re- contender on this level anyway. Right. So, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it's it would different. have to be. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Like, not like something like Reservoir Dogs, but it would it maybe like a close quarter bunch of people with guns. Who's going to shoot first? Oh, oh, God. So, you, yeah. well, I still need to nominate the good, the bad and the ugly when we get there. Right. So there's that. Oh, that's true. We do. Yeah. I mean, something like that. But in terms of just natural disaster there's i don't think there's ever been a better natural disaster sequence put it that way probably not yeah um just incredible so by the way i should mention um winner of 11 oscars at the academy awards it's a three-way tie currently yeah for the record do you know what those three movies are uh well the other is return of the king and then what's the other one uh it's not hmm oh i always forget it what is it ben-hur that's right okay ben-hur fuck those three have each won 11, which is so many Oscars. I know. Uh, of course, including Best Picture, Director, Cinematography, Art Direction, Costume Design, Sound, Film Editing, Sound Editing, Visual Effects, Original Song, and Original Score. Uh, did not win an acting Oscar, controversially. But it was also nominated for Best Makeup, Best Actress for Kate Winslet, and Best Supporting Actress for Gloria Stewart, who plays Old Rose. Okay. Seems like a stretch. Right. Uh, 17-year-old aristocrat falls in love with a kind but poor artist aboard the luxurious, ill-fated RMS Titanic. Number 25 on AFI's thrills list, 37 on their passions list, 14 on their movie songs list, 100 on their quotes list for I'm King of the World, number 6 on their epics list, it's very high, and number 83 on their all-time film list. Okay. So, uh, look, it's a groundbreaking film yeah it at the time was the highest grossing movie it's only recently been surpassed by avengers endgame Mm -hmm. and avatar but until then it was a massive massive movie also the most expensive movie ever made at the time 200 million dollars no surprise yeah um so sure if we're talking about legacy hard to beat this movie but that being said there is something to be said for the mixed reaction 20 years later. That's what I'm talking about, though. And it also speaks to, I mean, impact as far as like, I mean, again, like legacy. I don't think people love this as much as they did. And I also think from as far as the as far as impact is concerned, again, like big movies like this to me don't have as 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 warm of an impact, I suppose. Like any any movie that sort of like I hate to say it, but attributed to like the the death of cinemas <laughs> with with cinemas only be f- being filled with blockbusters is this you would say it hurt cinema for the worse in a way well it certainly championed cgi um you don't have that iconic shot of the titanic going down without some heavy cgi well actually a lot of miniatures used oh is that right a lot of miniatures used on this film okay. especially with that huh. that being said also, a great deal of CGI. You're yeah, there's correct. some green screen when they're yeah. on the ocean. Yes. But you know what, though? A lot of practical effects, too. I mean, when they're drowning in the... Or when they're, like, about to drown in that underwater yeah. hallway. Mm-hmm. I mean, Kate Winslet and Leo are actually swimming in a pool of water. I know. It's great. And the water's bursting out of a door. So, like, 
could have easily been done with CGI, but James Cameron insisted on doing it practically. So and it works so much better because of that. Yeah, so I'm not sure that it's his fault that everyone he he uses CGI sparingly. I would say. I would, yeah, I would agree. Relative to like some other directors, sure. Mm. Yeah, I I don't know. I, I but I do think that yeah, as far as legacy and impact, it's it's got a greater legacy and impact, but not necessarily the most positive. Yeah, I, I will also say too. I think. <laughs> a lot of this has to do with some sexist movie nerds. I think mean? it's just some dudes that don't like the Celine Dion song Ow. and are like, oh, that Titanic pussy shit is like, you know, the romance is cheesy and Kate Winslet's not hot. And it's like, I didn't even <laughs> cry at the end. Just get on that. I think it's just like movie nerd bullshit in a lot of ways. I love that. The, men I, don't want to admit that they cried at the end of Titanic. I love that joke in Family Guy where she's like, I'm, I'm like, it's like I'm with Leo and. And and it's like you're Leo and I'm Kate Winslet and Peter's like Kate Winslet Lois that was a guy that was Philip Seymour Hoffman. <laughs> <laughs> what? No, it wasn't. Yes, it was Lois. It was Philip Seymour Hoffman. <laughs> <laughs> so I just think there's a lot of just movie nerd bullshit. But it's the biggest movie ever. It's going to have a lot of baggage. What do you want? Well, because I think snobs are contrarians about it, yeah. and they're like, yeah, actually, Titanic wasn't that great. No, Titanic's great, man. Yes, absolutely. Titanic's a great movie. Quit absolutely. raining on this parade. Yep. Just bothers me. I know. I know. I know. Because I know so many of those people, and it's just it's like, dude, just let yourself feel it, man. Never let go. I, okay. Never, Never let go, goddammit. Great film. Yes. All right. So, we're going to pair that with Boogie Nights. Boogie Nights. Which, as we said is our favorite movie. I would say the best movie on this list definitively. Probably. But the question, does it have a fonder legacy? Did it have a greater impact? We'll see. Written and directed by Paul Thomas Anderson, starring one of my favorite ensemble casts of all time. Mm -hmm. Mark Wahlberg, Julianne Moore, Don Cheadle, John C. Riley, William H. Macy, Philip Seymour, Hoffman, and <laughs> Burt Reynolds. <laughs> yeah. Nominated for Best Supporting Actor for Burt and Best Supporting Actress for Julianne Moore. Uh, along with Best Original Screenplay, did not win any of those awards. The story of a young man's adventures in the California pornography industry of the late 1970s and early 1980s. That's the synopsis of this film. Uh, Adam, I like simple pleasures, like butter in my ass, lollipops in my mouth. That's just me. <laughs> That's just something I enjoy. You know? And this is just a movie that I enjoy. I'm a simple man to please. Yeah. No, I get that. And that's fine. Yeah. Uh, what's your personal relationship to Boogie Nights? It's the second, well, is it the second? I think it's the, it was the second Paul Thomas Anderson film I ever saw. And, and There Will Be Blood? Yeah. Okay. And this movie just like popped for me. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like, it's like another one where it's like, uh, it's like, oh yeah, Tarantino's got some competition here. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like everything just with how original this voice feels, mm. but how natural it is at the same time, but having just a, just a really weird and sharp sense of humor mm. with, with all of these just characters that belong in, in, in just the craziest like sitcom imaginable. Right. And it's just like everything about it just feels iconic to me, even though the movie, I honestly, I'm not sure I could call the film iconic in pop culture necessarily. Probably not. But just like, it's one of those movies where it's just like so lived in and, and so flavorful and, but it's, Oh God. But at the same time, it's not afraid to, to go dark when it needs to with this story because oh, certainly not because it's such a roller coaster of a of a story in that way just trying to traverse the porn scene mm -hmm. and it's 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 fun and it's it's exciting and it's funny and it's just 
it's just like some of the <laughs> some 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 of my favorite like character moments in a in a film ever. I yeah. mean, I just can't get enough of what happens to William H Macy in this. Movie. Oh, <laughs> it's so dark, so and, dark, but so funny. <laughs> it is hilarious. <laughs> it's so funny. It is the most hilarious suicide I've ever seen on screen. <laughs> I know. Double murder suicide has never been so hilarious. Yep. Uh, but so dark. You're right. Yeah, it's so funny you bring up Tarantino. Um, I just heard Tarantino talk about this movie on a podcast recently. Really? Oh, wow. Yes. Okay. So him and PTA are friends, but sort yeah, of no. they have like a competitive rivalry, but like a friendly one going on. Mm-hmm. Um, because they grew up together. They didn't know each other, but they both grew up in LA. Mm-hmm. They're LA kids. They're kind of showbiz kids. Um, and they came up around the same time. They were the two hottest directors in the '90s. Says he loves this movie. He screened it at his uh his. Uh, art house movie theater last month um but has a complaint about burt reynolds oh boy yeah so he knows who burt reynolds is based on mm-hmm. so here's the tarantino used to work at a porn theater yeah but it was like one of his jobs in between actual directing and the video store oh god yeah okay. he like worked at a porn th- and he used to hate pornos he says i never used to like pornos but i ended up working at a movie theater that showed exclusively pornos mm-hmm. so i see, i've seen more old pornos than probably anyone else on the face of the planet <laughs> who doesn't enjoy jerking off to pornos <laughs> okay <laughs> that's the gist of it so there is this real porn director that the burt reynolds character is based on okay. has the same gray hair the same goatee looks exactly like him the same style uh and he referenced the guy's name i don't remember what the guy's name was but he said that that guy's movies were much better than Burt Reynolds' movies in, in Boogie Nights. Okay. And he doesn't love the fact that PTA sort of uses Burt as a punchline in this. All right. Someone like Burt Reynolds would have known that he was making total shit. He would have never said the line, this is the film I want them to remember me by. Okay. If it's just like a shitty cop movie. That with horribly made, horribly edited, right. horrible cinematography with Mark Wahlberg running across the rooftops, a guy like that would have never made it. And right. so I think he takes a little umbrage with the movie being such an over-the-top satire. Mm-hmm. Um, I really don't have that much of a problem, but it is an interesting thought. Okay. You know? Doesn't take away how awesome Burt Reynolds is in this movie. Incredible. Jesus Christ. Incredible. So good. The best Burt performance. Everybody is good in this movie. I mean, everybody. Yeah. Like, 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 like shockingly good i mean even even the ones that like like have like no screen time like john c Riley. yep but most notably for me personally alfred molena in this movie <laughs> is amazing <laughs> i wish that i had jesse's girl <laughs> that is the best scene ever filmed <laughs> i fucking love everything about that i could watch that on loop for the rest of my that life that scene is so off the chain when he runs out of the house with the shotgun and you come back you motherfucker. <laughs> Oh, Dr. Octopus. Uh, for, a, for a movie that's pretty off the chain to be... Like, the movie doesn't have much chill leading up to that scene. No. But they're just like, yeah, we're going to give these characters a bunch of coke. <laughs> you know? And there's... Remember the little... The, the skinny short guy who's hanging out in the drug den and he's yeah. just popping the firecrackers? <laughs> yeah, that's So right. you hear, like, gunshots in the back. These ominous gunshots. Yep. It's that movie is just... Yeah, we're going to go... We're just going to take a bunch of coke and film this scene. <laughs> And Alpha Alina is amazing in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think by far and away my favorite scene in the movie. Oh my god, it's the best. Yeah. It is the fucking best. My brother my older brother loves that scene too. It's just like, oh, I heard this scene was crazy. And then we watch, he's like, <laughs> holy shit, that was crazy. 
But I love that he's singing Jesse's Girl, but getting the words wrong. Yeah. I can't have Jesse's Girl. <laughs> I love characters like that, though. Right. It happens a lot. And um, he's got the shirt buttoned down. Remember his big stomach sticking what out? What the hell was he wearing? <laughs> I have God. no idea. It was like a mixture of a bathrobe and a, and a Hawaiian shirt. It looks like a kimono, almost. Like, <laughs> like what the hell are you doing, man? I do Good for you. So good. You know what's great, too, is Hoffman. Yeah. Philip Seymour Hoffman is so yeah. desperately nice. Yeah. You know? Similar to his character in um, Magnolia. In a, Similar. In a weird way, yeah. His, Magnolia is a little more understated, but yeah. he's over-the-top gay, but will not admit it. Mm-hmm. Kind of actually like his big Lebowski character, too. <laughs> I love his book. Maybe so my favorite Philip Seymour Hoffman character, honestly. The, these are all great. When, the scene where he takes Dirk to the car mm. and is like, I, I'm sorry I did that. I'm just really drunk, man. Uh-huh. It's like the desperation of that scene. It, it's played for laughs. Yep. But you think about that scene one layer below the surface and you're like, oh, this is the most depressing movie I've ever seen in my life. It is depressing, though. And that's the thing. And maybe that was maybe that's some people's deterrent from it, because when you actually like sit there with the movie, it's like. Oh, fuck. These people are fucking pathetic. Yeah. It's a grimy world they're living in. I know. When Don Cheadle goes to the bank trying to get a loan and they Mm -hmm. won't let him. I'm an actor. I I can't get a loan because of my films. I'm an actor. Mm -hmm. Sad. Dude. Yeah. So, yeah, sure. The line about lollipops in my mouth and butter in my ass is great, but uh, there's a character with him that commits a double murder suicide. Yeah. That is the reality of this movie. His wife is just having sex with everybody. Right. Willy nilly. And no one cares. Yeah. I love it when he goes to the guy and he's like, my wife is having sex and it's a fucking embarrassment. <laughs> and the guy's just like, oh yeah, that's, that's, that's rough, man. Right. So when are we going to get this shot? <laughs> so <laughs> he something just, like that. He yeah. walks in the room. He looks, gives himself a little nod and All walks right. back and you follow him the whole yeah. way. It's, such, it's, it's all one take. It's one of the great one takes, I think. Well, there's like three great one yeah. takes in this movie, too. That's great. How great's the opening shot? Oh, wow. <laughs> Where the camera spins around from Boogie Nights and then follows them in. Yeah, right. It's, it's Luis Guzman. So good. <laughs> Baby, you're the sexiest bitch I've ever seen. <laughs> I love this screenplay. <laughs> the script is so awesome. Yeah, the script uh, is like 185 pages, I guess. It really? Like one of the thickest screenplays a lot of these producers had seen at the time. Shit. But they read it and it's like, yeah, we're not messing with this. You have all the control. Because PTA, when he made the movie Hard Eight, mm-hmm. um, was, I guess, a, a, um, a notorious studio hack job even though that's a really good movie apparently the studio stepped in took over control of the edit and like kicked him out of his own editing room oh really so pta this was the first movie where he could just let it rip okay and so he does that um in such a tremendous way um burt reynolds notoriously hates this movie yep i know that i think when he died before he died he had not seen it Really? I think he went his whole life never seeing the movie. Why? How, how does he know he hates the film? I think he said it on Conan. I think because Conan asked him, how'd you say it? He's like, nah, I never saw the movie. What the hell? He what? was really bothered by the porn stuff. He was bothered that he was involved in a movie that glorified pornography. It's not really glorifying pornography. Though, yeah, I wouldn't say that either. At all. I love it when actors completely miss the point, though. It, happens, yeah. it actually happens a lot. I mean, someone with his level of stardom and ego, I could totally see that happening, too. Right. So it's just strange. So I think at and the time he thought he had sort of sold out that he was making like another showgirls. What the hell? You know? Oh, and he ends up making like his best performance. Sure. Like, giving his best performance. Yeah. Rather. Ironically, like I think at one point he threw a punch at PTA on set. What? Yeah. 
He was like really pissed off. This young kid was bossing him around and he's like, I'm Burt Reynolds. So from the get go, it was just like a bet. Oh, he also fired his agent after the filming wrap. He's like, why did you let me take that movie? You're fired. Oh, my God. And somehow he gets an Oscar nomination for this movie. (laughs) I wonder what he thought of that. Yeah, it's just so strange, isn't it? Shit. Well, yeah, too bad. Um, Other than that, you're right, though. I absolutely love him. It's a great bit of casting. It's PTA reminding everyone what's so great about Burt Reynolds. Mm -hmm. Um, And the character is has so much heart. Yeah, I agree. You know, it's it's weird. PTA, I think, once described the movie as a movie about family. Yeah, I can see, especially towards the end. And you can yeah. kind of see that, right? We were like, oh, I miss Dirk. He's such an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> but I miss him. It's like, oh, I, I get it. It's but. just such this weird dynamic, though, where Bert is Dirk's uh, surrogate father and yeah. Jillian Moore is his surrogate mother, who he happens to have sex with on camera. Yeah. It's it's this very weird thing, but it it is relatable. These characters do really care about each other. Yeah. Even, like, even though, I don't know, everyone... It's the best way to dance around this. <laughs> I mean, the the fact that they're so pathetic, but they still stick together is actually kind of touching to me. It's very admirable, right? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't, I think this is a, you know, it's an easy movie to love in that way, I guess. Sure. I, I, I don't know. I don't know what else to say. It's just awesome. It's and it's so easy to revisit, but it's kind of bleak with its ending for me personally. I always found that ending to be sort of bleak. Similarly, him in the bathroom. It's because it's very similar to Raging Bull. Yeah, I was actually just about to bring that up. Like the exact same ending as Raging Bull. Yeah. So at the end of this movie, it's Dirk in front of the mirror, yeah. taking out his giant penis. You get a look at his giant prosthetic penis. Mm-hmm. He's very well endowed, uh, and he says, "I'm a star in the mirror." In Raging Bull, Jake LaMotta says, "I'm the boss." Remember that? Yep. So it's the basically the, the same boss. line. You're a star. Uh, and actually, that's a that's an uh, on the waterfront line. You're I'm the boss. Oh, I'm the boss. Yeah, that's a user. Yeah. Oh. So I guess Anderson PTA said I was halfway through the scene when I realized I was writing something really closely to, to Raging Bull. So mm-hmm. uh, it's intentional. Okay. A lot of this. And also a lot of it, too, is him trying to one up Scorsese with Goodfellas, I think. Which is the only I, I, I and PTA does that is the thing. Like there's so much Scorsese in a lot of the things he does. I mean, yep. at least earlier uh, uh pta particularly with this and um uh magnolia yeah so it's like you know and, and eventually he kind of lessens up on that but still i mean at least the, his if anyone's gonna mimic scorsese it, it, it's better that you know someone like uh pta do it you know right as opposed to like i don't know todd phillips sure <laughs> he's been known to do that and it looks like he's doing it again with the joker he's remaking king of comedy with the joker <laughs> so weird um okay so, one of my favorite movies. Help me out. I don't... What do you mean? Start. Say something. Help. What do we do here? What I, do we do? I don't know what we do. I love... Uh, the only argument I have against Titanic is that impact and legacy, it's probably greater in that way, but I don't know if it's as admirable. All right. So, the, we're the, saying quality Boogie Nights gets it, right? Yeah. Okay. And we're saying legacy Titanic definitely has that locked up. Mm-hmm. Right? Because... We all, it's the, one of the most it's popular not, movies ever. Made. Not even a question. Okay. So, Impact. Would you say Boogie Nights influenced more directors that came after it than Titanic? Honestly, no. Really? <laughs> yeah. Because the thing is, it's basically Nashville, but better, right? That's that's what Boogie Nights is. Oh, well, yeah. Well, I mean, every, everything PTA does. Like, his his greatest influence is Robert Altman. Right. Uh, essentially. But Magnolia is very Nashville. Yeah. But I 
I don't know if it Boogie Nights has that that legacy quite yet, I right? Or, or that impact. No. I mean, it's certainly been done before. Yeah, it's just a really good version of something that came before. It's just funny, like because I think it is a better film, but like a case for it above Titanic. What Titanic did for CGI, what it did for the studio system, really. Yeah. As you said, not always for the best, but the reason why every other movie is a blockbuster now is because James Cameron paved the way. Sure. The fact that it was the first $200 million movie, I think, speaks volumes. Yes. That studios had the confidence to spend $200 million on a production. It's one of the first billion-dollar films, too, I believe. Too. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I, yeah, I, I, I just think... Mm. It's it's hard to make a case for Boogie Nights for our criteria. So I don't, I don't know what to tell you. Okay. So we're saying we just did a vote. Quality, legacy, impact. Titanic is the winner. Now, you feel good about that? Yeah, I guess so. You're going to be able to sleep all at night? Probably. Because. I don't know. Here's the thing. It's our movie hall of fame. It's true. So if you want to make a blood pact to abandon the rules, something we've done in the past we're going to have to speak to the board of directors later and defend ourselves. We could go with boogie nights, but it's, it's gotta be a fucking we're blood brothers on this man. <laughs> know that we abandon our own rules and that the movie hall of fame podcast will never be the same again. If we put boogie nights in, <laughs> what do you think? Well, I'd rather have boogie nights in there. <laughs> <sighs> what do you think though? I mean, I'll do that. I do, I do anything. I, I, I'm down for anything because I'm Adam Hall. <laughs> You're ready to get crazy. Mm. <laughs> ready to get crazy. I'm worried about the precedent that we're setting. That's the thing. Because we have done this before on Strange Ones. I mean, the fact that we put the insider in over Fight Club is strange. <laughs> we put Rosemary's Baby in over 2001 A Space Odyssey. I think we're... <sighs> I'm happy we put the insider in, though. Me too, but I mean, I think most people would say, like, where the hell is Fight Club? Or where the hell is the Sixth Sense? Sure. Yeah. I think, we, I, I hate to say it, I think we're due for this. For, right. for Titanic, unfortunately. <sighs> so where is your final vote? God. Uh, uh. Hmm. I guess Titanic. <sighs> You know what? It's a great movie. It is. It's a fine. Titanic, welcome to the Movie Hall of Fame. Man, get him out of here. I don't want get him out of here. I don't want to hear the claps. Doesn't feel right, does it? Oh. I know. I know. Can we change our minds? <laughs> can we change our minds so I can sleep tonight? <laughs> what do you want, Nico? I want Boogie Nights in the Movie Hall of Fame. That's what I want. You want it in the Hall of Fame? I want Boogie Nights in the Hall of Fame. Then put it in the fucking it's Hall of Fame. It's in the Hall of Fame. There it is. <laughs> Boogie Nights, baby. Fuck it. It's in. Feel better? I do. Okay, good. I feel way better. No, Let's not- own it. All right. Fuck Titanic. <laughs> Fuck you, Titanic. <laughs> How good's that movie anyway? It sucks. You know, really kind of sucks you know, the, anyway. The movie is utter bullshit. Kate Winslet's not that hot anyway. <laughs> Let's just put him. <laughs> you could have dodged the iceberg. <laughs> you could have spared room on the door for the 1,000th time. 
Oh, that is so the wrong decision, but I'm okay. I, I cannot put Boogie Nights in the movie Hall of Fame, bro. I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. All right. It's fine. Well, we did it. We love Boogie, we love Boogie Nights. May God have mercy on our soul. Yeah. Uh, all right. So we have this Oscar thing we're going to do again. Uh, revisiting the 1997 Academy. Okay. Okay. Um... Best Actress. Your nominees were Kate Winslet from Titanic, mm-hmm. Judy Dench for a movie called Mrs. Brown, Julie Christie for a movie called Afterglow, Helena Bonham Carter for The Wings of the Dove, and Helen Hunt wins for As Good As It Gets. I guess Helen Hunt. You're okay with that? Sure. Okay. I did not have that. I would have went Pam Greer. Oh, okay. Interesting. I, I would have given it to Pam Greer. Cool. Yeah. Right. I think it's a more dominant performance. Uh, it's a traditional movie star role, kind of a lifetime achievement, sure. Um, but I just see as good as it gets as a Jack Nicholson movie. It is. So Helen Hunt is fine in it, but I, I would not have given it to her. All right. Best actor, Dustin Hoffman for Wag the Dog, Peter Fonda for Yuli's Gold, Robert Duvall for The Apostle, Matt Damon for Goodwill Hunting, and Jack Nicholson wins for as good as it gets. What would you have done there? Again, I guess Jack Nicholson. I also said, I guess Jack Nicholson, but you can make a case for Damon. Yeah, probably. Yeah. It's close, but yeah, I don't know. I think it's Jack. I wouldn't mind. I wouldn't mind Damon. Close second. Best director, Anton Agoyan for The Sweet Hereafter. Curtis Hansen for LA Confidential. Gus Van Sant for Goodwill Hunting. Peter C- Cantonio for The Full Monty and James Cameron for Titanic. And the answer is James Cameron. Okay, this is, to me, a perfect example where you can do the split, and I'm okay with it. Yeah, okay. I think you get PTA director because it's the most distinctive, like, directorial effort, and I think you give Titanic best picture because it's the best overall achievement. Okay. That's what I would say. All right. I think, and that, I'm very rarely okay with the split. That's how I would have done it. All right. I could almost agree with that, too, if I wanted to. Yeah. Best CGI, best score. I'm fine with flipping that. Yeah. Why not? I think that's what I would do. And Titanic, of course, yeah, is nominated along with As Good As It Gets, Full Monty, Goodwill Hunting, and LA Confidential. It's one of those years where the Oscars weren't like completely egregious because the nominees weren't great. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, it would have been nice to see Jackie Brown get some love. But yeah, no, but yeah, that wasn't going to happen. I also have for supporting, I would go Robin Williams, but uh, just knowing in hindsight, too, that that would have been his only Oscar. You got to give it to him. I know. But man, in another world, I would have given it to Bert or even Paul Giamatti for uh, for private parts. Did was He He wasn't nominated. No, no. I would have given him a nomination. But he's though. incredible in that movie. It's great, that movie. So. And then supporting actress, I, I uh, Kim Basinger went one for L.A. Confidential. I don't remember her being that great in that movie. Nah, me neither. I think you could, I, you could go Julianne Moore for Boogie Nights easily. Okay. Or even Bridget Fonda for Jackie Brown. <laughs> Probably Julianne Moore for Boogie Nights, honestly. She's great in that. Yeah. Uh, other than that, though, not, not a bad job, Oscars. Okay. Yeah. Decent. Good, Good on you. You did okay. You did. Um, all right. Let's do this. Oh, yeah. We got one more thing to do. Yeah. And then we're out of here. We're doing it. 1982. Coming next week. Nick Evangelista will join us. Briefly. Briefly. To settle some scores. This is the year. This is the big one. A massive weight is about to be lifted off of our friendship. <laughs> and it's going to feel really good. Sure. It's going to feel therapeutic. Or really bad. Well, it's going to be really bad when one of us loses. <laughs> I'm, I just don't like that. It's Nick. Like, it just... 
Nick, I think, will be an impartial adjudicator. Just know that if I lose, I'm just going to blame Nick for the rest of my life. (laughs) (laughs) 1982. Here it comes. You want to do a draft? Yes. All right. So I will go first. Okay. Uh, I would like to nominate the extraterrestrial. Okay. Otherwise known as E.T. I would like to nominate Blade Runner. Good. Uh, Give me Tootsie. Give me Tootsie. Yeah. Tootsie. Okay. Give me King of Comedy. Ooh. Did not think that's where that was going. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I got to go with the verdict. Number three. Good. The thing. All right. I was waiting for that. Yeah, of course. Okay. I thought you might have went Diner, but I don't think you saw Diner. I've right? seen Diner. Okay. I love Diner. Yeah. King of Comedy. Cool. Yeah, of course. Of course. All right. Let's do this. That's a good that's a good list. Solid list. Hell yeah. Yep. All right. Blade Runner, E.T., The Thing, Tootsie, King of Comedy, and The Verdict, which you are gonna enjoy this week, my friend. Can't wait for that. Yep. Catch up with them and we'll watch. Uh, and we'll discuss next week. Movie Hall of Fame. It's gonna be a bloodbath. It will. Can't wait. God. This has been the Movie Hall of Fame. Yeah, it has. Check us out. On the website, tmt.media or too many thoughts media.com. Mm-hmm. Where can people find you on Twitter? At some Adam Hall. Mm. Getting into arguments about 21st century science fiction films. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That was a decent list. You had a viral tweet the other day. Yeah. I was like, wait, wait people are responding to this? Stop it, people. <laughs> Shut up. Get off my back. Yeah. <laughs> well, a few of them had some good lists, though. I was like, oh, you know, that was bad. Yeah, I, I I can get down to that. Yeah, we got to do. I, I'll I'll maybe draw one up one of these days. It was a good topic. I like that topic. Yeah. Okay. Uh, anything else for me? Uh, no. Good. Listen to why is this a thing? We talked about Piranha Two, the spawning directed by James Cameron. Interesting film. For more James Cameron heat, check out that podcast. We'll be doing Anaconda. Uh, yeah, Anaconda next week. Oh boy. Mm-hmm. And a a, a a much anticipated installment of why is this a thing? <laughs> We've been waiting for this one for a long time. God yeah. damn it! Yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ! It's about time. Here it comes. All right, that's it. That's the show. I love you so very very much. And until next time. Ooh, I'll do this one because sure. no one no one's ever heard of it. Um, um, where are you? In your house. That's fucking crazy, man. <laughs>